0: Joe
1: Rogan podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience.
0: Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. How long do you have to stop smoking weed before you'll test positive?
2: Uh, Usually about five days. Five Uh, days before a fight? If you're smoking straight flour. But uh, if you're smoking like oil, dabs, anything like that, then you need a little bit more time.
0: You got down to a science?
2: Uh, I figured it out when I tested positive one fight because <laughs> I was smoking oil and I stopped five days out.
0: Oh, smoking oil. Those wacky kids and their dabs and oil.
2: <laughs> you guys you go too far.
0: You guys go too far.
2: There is. A, there's way too many ways now, I feel like.
0: <laughs> you go to dark places. You do dabs. You go to dark places. You go to, yeah, especially
2: you with dabs. I'm like, that's the, the like next level extreme. Yeah,
0: I'm not interested in that. You just get too far gone. Like, you don't even know how to move your hands right. Uh,
2: There's this stuff that uh, I'm a medical patient in Florida, and there's stuff you can get from the uh, dispensary. It's, like, little nose drops. And that shit, like, makes you, like, literally I feel like I can't form sentences.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is this a spray?
2: Yeah, it's just, like, a nasal spray.
0: There is so many wacky people in Austin spraying ketamine up their nose. (laughs) It is a real issue. We had a girl go into a K-hole at our comedy club the other night. Oh yeah, and her boyfriend's like, she just did a lot of ketamine. And they're like, Jesus fucking Christ. Do that at home, you nuts. They're doing ketamine and going to see comedy.
1: Uh, yeah, From the moment I got here, it's been offered to me frequently. What like, is what going on?
0: How's ketamine? <laughs> Ketamine's a fucking tranquilizer, right? Yeah. It's a powerful psychedelic, too, right? It's
1: also available in clinics for people to be, like, you know. PTSD working. I
0: feel like there's a lot of people that are doing it like every day though. Mm -hmm. Have you done it?
2: No, no, I've never messed with anything like that. I took
0: a little of Duncan's. Duncan had one. I think he made it in his bathtub. What did it
1: feel like? Do you remember?
0: Weird, but it was very little. You just just, just take one pump. So I took like one pump and I was like, this is odd, but I know the source and I know where he's getting it and it's all medical grade and legit, but it's like What is that?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like a lot of yeah. natural things better.
0: <laughs> THC nasal mist. Well, um, yeah, I guess the p- marijuana is the ultimate natural thing. I, I was just saying that I, I, had a, I hurt my back a little bit. it tweaked a muscle, and it was locked up, and I put on this CBD MD Recover Cream. I, I'm not, I mean, that stuff is insanely good. It's incredible how much better I felt.
2: No, that's, that's crazy. It's amazing
0: that CBD has that kind of power.
2: Yeah, I've never used a, a topical cream like that, but uh, I've used, like, pills and things like that with CBD, and I feel like it definitely does make a difference. Like, there's, I, I don't know, there's a huge difference.
0: Huge difference. My friend Dave Foley had um, real bad arthritis in his hands, and he started taking CBD, and all of a sudden his hands started working fine. Like, it just took a while. It took, it just, your your body is filled with inflammation. And CBD is just an awesome way to get rid of inflammation.
2: Yeah, especially as a fighter. Oh, yeah. It's like everything's inflamed constantly.
0: Who needs CBD more than fighters, right? And who needs marijuana more than fighters just to fucking chill the fuck out? Like the stress that you go through on a regular basis is so bonkers, if you really think about it. You're around you know, all these other human beings that are going about their day, driving their cars, going to work. You're preparing to throw bones at girls. You're preparing to strangle people. You put people to sleep for a living. You know, that is a wild thing to do, sister.
2: Oh yeah, it's like pre-fight when I'm sitting there and I'm feeling all my nerves. My boyfriend, he's told me, he's like, "You need to be thankful for this because he's like most people don't get to experience shit like this in their life. Most people don't get to like experience these kinds of feelings, like these extreme feelings because they just have their regular jobs." Yeah. It's like what I'm doing is something crazy.
0: It's so crazy. It's so crazy. And when you do it in a place like when you – was it in uh, London with Molly McCann? Was that London? Uh, It was actually Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah. (sighs) That was crazy. That was crazy. When you got her back and put her to sleep, I was like, oh, shit.
2: Oh yeah, That was pretty much, uh, it was my first fight out of the tough house, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, my UFC debut was technically against Emily Whitmire, but it was still, we were in the tough house, like, we didn't mm-hmm. have our, uh, like, our actual fight kits, things like that, Right. so Molly McCann, I feel like, was really the first fight where I was like, this is a real UFC fight for me, and my flight was delayed, everything, she missed weight, I feel like everything went wrong that week, I got booed walking out, so it's like, I I don't know. Just to get that success after that, I feel like was such a great thing for me.
0: (laughs) How did they treat you when you got out?
2: After I got out, honestly, everybody was great. Like even Molly invited me to her after party. Uh, My brother flew out there, so I ended up going out with him. Oh,
0: that's cool. And
2: uh, we were just walking around Liverpool, and everybody coming up to me, uh, trying to get pictures. Like the Liverpool fans were hundred percent supportive. It was great.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Of course they're gonna boo you
2: yeah just a girl oh yeah 100 percent. i expected every minute of it
0: plus like what a personality she has like she's awesome
2: oh, i absolutely love her probably out of all the girls i fought in the ufc molly's definitely probably the top
0: <laughs> she's a character She, her and patty together are fucking amazing it's hilarious it should be a reality show
2: she's absolutely like genuine sweetheart of a person and like you said a absolute character as well
0: and she could fight yeah she can oh, fight 100%. her ass off her stand-up is nasty it's really she's so tough, she's so I, tough.
2: Yeah, all girls. I feel like from that area, they got that extra mm-hmm. little toughness to them, and she definitely uh, is superior in that.
0: Yeah, for her, it just feels like grappling came like a little later for her, mm-hmm. and that that can be a problem with someone of your caliber. You know, the thing about like grappling is, God, it takes so long to catch up, and while you are catching up, that person's still getting better. If they're training every day, and they're it's like. When someone is at a a super high grappling level and if you're just getting into grappling now, like you're just you're just surviving. And it's a long time until you're doing anything other than surviving, unless you're some athletic freak. Unless you're some just unbelievable specimen of a human that just learns quicker than everybody else. Most of the time, it's, like, really hard to catch up when you're a pure striker.
2: Okay, there's just so much to learn in Mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu. Even, like, I got my black belt, I think, two or three years ago now, and I feel like I still don't know anything. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's just, like, there's so much to learn, so many different styles different things like even like leg locks I don't know a lot of I don't know deep into that game I know good defensively but offensively I feel like that's a completely different world
0: mm-hmm. the leg lock game is crazy because that just took over it was, it was so amazing to watch something that you used to get booed for like if they went to tournaments okay. especially in Brazil people would boo you they did not like when you're doing stuff like that I guess because it really messes people up in training like, they had to know it was really effective. But they, too many people had to ruin knees, and mm-hmm. they just decided, like, hey, this is a bad idea. And it might be a bad idea in the gee. You know, in the gi, it's like, whoa, man, you can't get out of that very well. At least in no gi, there's, like, a little bit more maneuverability. When someone's, like, grabbing your legs and they got your pants and they're holding on to the coffin in here, it's like, ooh, that's tight for a leg lock. Oh, yeah. That's I'm, scary.
2: I'm almost more nervous competing no gi now than versus... Uh, fighting MMA, just because really? no gay girls are so well-versed in leg locks and that mm. shit's dangerous. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right. that can put me out for six months, a year yeah. plus, where it's like, the worst thing I've ever had happen in a fight is I got 11 stitches in my nose. It's like, besides that, well, and even that, I grappled a month later.
0: <laughs> Who was that woman, that heavily tattooed woman, uh, and you you got her back to, she, she had a crazy nickname, like the Demon Slayer?
2: Uh, oh, uh, um, Maria Agpova. Yes. What was her
0: He just has a wild nickname, right? Isn't it yeah. something like yeah. that? Yeah, it's
2: something like that. Yeah.
0: Um, when you were fighting her, she hit you with a bunch of like really hard elbows while you were trying to get, take her down, and th- that was just amazed that you just stuck with the path. You just kept. You just. Kept, you're like, uh-uh. I got you. I got you. I got uh uh, uh uh you're not getting away with this. I'm going to hang on to you and I'm going to drag you to the ground. And I'm going to get you. And when you finally did it, I was like, "Damn, that was systematic." But you 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 endured like some hard shots.
2: Honestly, I I don't think like I don't know. I didn't really have any much damage off of those shots. Wow. So, I didn't really feel a lot of those and they weren't really like the only reason that I even thought about them is because the ref was like, you need to do something. I'm going to stop this. And I was like, oh, shit, I got to change something mm. up. Like, but I was initially going for a knee bar and when she was just hitting me with elbows. And uh, then I gave up on that because of the ref.
0: Isn't it interesting how subjective refereeing can be? And that there's some referees that are really good at letting people just fight out of stuff. And then there's some referees that like just getting hit even with a few hammer fists that aren't going to stop you if you don't defend them. Some refs will just stop it right there. It's just completely subjective. Like for that ref to tell you that like you can't endure these shots, it's, it's you don't like you have the time. Like actually they're not that hard. It's mm-hmm. a, it sounds bad, but it doesn't really hurt. I'm okay. Like you can, but you can't say that in the middle of a fight. So there's this weird like communication issue like he sees you getting hit but I saw you getting hit by those shots I was like Jesus Christ like can you see if you could find that see if you can find that because in that <laughs> in that exchange when you're trying to take her down I'm like Jesus those are some hard elbows Travis Brown was the master of that
2: oh yeah, yeah. I feel like no one had more power than him oh when he was God. delivering those elbows. And
0: I think he kind of invented it, or at least he popularized it. We, we call it the Travis Brown, because he would drive down those elbows when you were trying to take him down. That was a horrible place to be.
2: I don't think I've seen people drop like I have with <laughs> Travis Brown.
0: <laughs> well, he obviously drilled it. You know, I mean, it, was, it wasn't mm-hmm. an improvised thing. At least I don't yeah. think it was. It just seemed so well-timed. And the force that he could generate, because he's so big and long when you're a long person like a john jones type person, the amount of f- extra force that you have and all that length and torque yeah so somewhere in the clinch so we're gonna get a few of your whole fight here What
2: yeah, is
0: YouTube, it like watching watching YouTube. yourself fight is it weird
2: uh I, I i guess i i don't know i i do it a lot i i use myself as uh, motivation of how I should perform. A lot of times I watch my past uh, wins just to really, I guess, relive that kind of feeling. So then it gives you something to chase the next fight.
0: Oh, that sounds, that's brilliant. That's a great way to do it, especially since you've got these, you know, well documented, awesome videos from the UFC of your wins. I mean, it's so, cr- it's one of the coolest things ever to be a fan right now. That you could just watch fights at any time you want, anytime, right. anytime, instantly. You're watching fights.
2: Okay, I'm a huge fan of the sport just in general. So just being able to do that, like look up any type of any fight, yeah. anything you want, I'm like it's crazy.
0: I I love it. It's like the best time ever for high level kickboxing. It's the best time for amateur wrestling. It's the best time for submission grappling. Like, there's never been more people that have been more interested in submission grappling now.
2: I think we got past the elbows here. This is where the chokes happen. Yeah, yeah.
0: this <laughs> is. It the must. First round?
2: Yeah, first round.
0: Uh, okay. Oh, is that round two? <clears throat> we can still watch that, though. I still uh, want to watch that choke. Ahead. I'll go back. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah these are the... So, is right here he's telling you you have to do something?
2: No, it was... Uh, <laughs> I had her butt on the floor by this point because I actually knew she had an injured knee going into this fight.
0: Oh, how'd you know that?
2: Uh, she talked about it in, in interviews, and... Uh, I actually knew a couple people she trained with who told me. Oh, a bunch but, of rats. Yeah. Dirty rats. But, Dirty
0: rats. <laughs> Do you feel bad taking that information?
2: And it is what it is. <laughs> I I definitely utilized it. Uh, yeah, you have to. I, I try, like...
0: You'd be crazy not
1: to.
2: I probably wouldn't have committed to the knee bar so hard if I didn't know that, that knee injury was there. Right. Uh, um, so it's like... Uh, I, I started going for the knee bar and she just kept on hitting me with the elbows and then once we were on the floor, I think he thought I was injured because mm. I, don't, I was committing to the knee bar, so I was trying to put hips down, so mm-hmm. uh, that's when he told me I needed to move. It
0: just
1: started going in slow motion.
0: Why is it going in slow motion? I don't know what's happening. Is someone breaking down some specific-
1: No, it's on ESPN's website. Oh. Site. It's just freaking out. It's,
0: it's that... the Russians. The <laughs> Russians don't like Amer- <laughs> Americans winning. The so <laughs> They don't like it. Uh, okay. So at at one point you were getting drilled with elbows. I don't know if we're gonna find it without <laughs> watching the whole fight. But it was just an awesome performance overall. That and the the Molly McCann one. You just you've had a bunch of them. I think I was equally impressed with the Rose Namajunas grappling match. That was. That was so slick. Like the way you took her back and the controlling the position, like you never lost an inch. Like you just kept progressing until you got the choke. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, I feel like my choking game is definitely, uh, it's different than anybody else's and it's something that, uh, it's a feel that I've been working on for years and I feel like I still haven't even perfected it. But I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to making it perfect. And I think the rose... Um, grappling match was probably one of the opportunities where I feel like I really got it just that little bit more close to perfect where Mm. she I was I wasn't even on her throat at first she had her uh, chin tucked and uh, my hand was in poor position and I feel like I was just able to walk it closer and closer until I was able to make that hole tighter and uh, she had to give up her throat at that point
0: well what I was super impressed with was your use of the shoulder how you're using your right arm to control the shoulder because you don't quite have it, but you've got a nice grip on the cup of the shoulder, and you're using that leverage like that improvised. Then, when you switched to the gable grip, I was like, Oh shit, the gable grip was it. But when you were using her shoulder, I was like, That's brilliant.
2: Oh, yeah. Dean always tells me he's like, If it if her chin's sucks, you, you should be able to break it. You know, mm. it's like the goal is to break the jaw, so just creating that pressure with. Uh, just closing the circle you know Mm -hmm. trying to make that circle smaller so I'm just inching my hand deeper my head deeper until I can really just make it so it's too small
0: (laughs) and I love what you said that you have like a feel for it because I think people would think of it like oh it's just like you know you know the movement you do it right but it's just like everything else it's like playing guitar it's like any other thing that you learn how to do that's difficult there's like levels and levels and levels and levels and levels and when you watch, like, really high-level black belts going at it, going back and forth and trying to keep up with each other, it's like, whew. Like, you're watching, like, the craziest kind of game ever. You know, I right.
2: am like, I've taught my choke to multiple people, and I feel like people just don't get it still because it's, like, it's just – it's something I've worked on for years. So what's,
0: what's specific about your choke?
2: Uh, it's just the way that the I, I have my pressure. Uh, I, I feel like I can generally finish it with one hand. I never really look for the hooks. I'm usually just searching for it uh, opportunistically, so I get it whenever it's almost too late to defend it. Mm. And uh, even just like the the pressure of my choke, though. I think it's something that anybody could learn, but it's just a lot of patience because it's something that's so basic and so simple. But like I said, I've drilled it a thousand times and mm. I don't think I have it right yet. So I think it's just you really have to put the time and effort into one specific motion, which a lot of people don't have time for.
0: So you just over and over again drilled it or you just over and over again used it in training? What what what, what, what sparked this Strangulation reign that you've been on. Like, how did that start?
2: Uh, it's uh, definitely both. Uh, I feel like a lot of my technique comes from Dean Thomas. He's kind of like Dean's a man. Yeah, he's the engineer behind a lot of whatever I do. Uh, and uh, he kind of devised this way of going for the neck and just off balancing opponents, attacking the throat. And we've been drilling it for years and years and years. And even like, I feel like the way he's described it to me hasn't really clicked until like recently where we've been drilling it for years. And now it's like, all right, I kind of get this.
0: Yeah, it's um, the way you do it is it's it's so it's so brilliantly like the way it progresses. What's beautiful to watch, like especially the Rose match in particular, is like the, the squeeze that you put, like the progression of it is, is what you want to see at a really high level. That's what you want to see. And when mm-hmm. someone executes and executes it on someone who is champion of the UFC, it's really incredible. I mean, that was an amazing showcase for you.
2: Oh, yeah, and into MMA, it just plays in perfectly. Like, my last fight uh, with Pierre Rodriguez, I was in mount throwing elbows the whole time, and every time she tried to turn her back a little bit, her coaches are like, no, no, don't give your back. So they're just making her lay on the ground and take elbows to the face instead of giving up her back. So I'm like, it, it's, it's your, you know, the worst of two worlds there. <laughs> like, you get your choice.
0: Do, do you have, a, is the rest of your game as strong as your choke game?
2: I think so. I think my top pressure in jujitsu is definitely something that uh, a lot of girls especially have. Even a lot of guys, I feel like I get a lot of compliments that uh, I feel like in the jujitsu world, it's the only place where you can tell a girl she's heavy and it's a compliment, you know?
0: (laughs) Right. You got heavy hips. What?
2: Yeah. Everybody tells me that I'm really heavy. And uh, it's. I I feel like it's that kind of top pressure, which is going to be dominant in an MMA game.
0: Yeah, it absolutely can be. I mean, you look at the guys from Dagestan, the, the, all the Khabib disciples, Islam Akachev, Khabib, those guys, they just crush you. They get on top of you and crush you. And when you see where really good, you know, high-level submission artists get smushed by guys like Khabib, you're like, wow. Like that's that's some crazy. It's like there's layers and layers to everything. And we didn't know the layer of like controlling the legs with the legs until Khabib came along and did it. And when he would do it so thoroughly, he'd be like, Jesus Christ, He's, he does this to everybody. Like he didn't even have a bad moment, you know, until like there was like a, the Gleason Tebow fight was a pretty close fight, I believe. And then one round with Connor, But it, even that round was like a round he took off. You know oh, yeah. it's like that guy but the, the squeeze that guy had it's like everybody that trains him says you don't understand like you know what I'm it's like he weighs 400 pounds <laughs> like it doesn't <laughs> even make any sense
2: Yeah, that top control is just completely different. And it's like, I always say, I'm like, people hit a lot less. Like, they don't hit as hard when they're on their back. Right. Of (laughs) course. I'd rather have somebody on their back than standing face to face with me, you know?
0: And you're draining them. Exactly. It's exhausting. That person carrying your weight, it's exhausting. You're always moving to try to defend. It's very difficult to get out of. And especially with someone, if if it's a superior grappler in the the scramble, she's going to take your back.
2: Exactly. Always looking for the submissions, the strikes. And uh, if I'm on bottom, it's strike, sweep, submit, or stand up, you know. We're just working for the finish constantly.
0: Well, that's what I love about your style, and I think that's what makes it so fan-friendly, too. It's it's so exciting. Um, I, and I love the, the technique. The technique is so sharp. But wh- you were saying something that I wanted to ask you to elaborate on. You said you don't even go for the hooks. You just—you're you're so concerned with the choke that you'll, like— take the choke, even if you have no hooks, and then get the hooks later?
2: Uh, the hooks aren't even, like, that's, like, last priority, or I don't need them even. I don't think I had any hooks when I choked Rose. Uh, but I just, I have such a unique grip with the uh, how I, with my head and hand position on my choke. So it's just, it doesn't really matter. That's where my control point is. It's not on the lower half of the body. Mm. It's on the choke. And usually when I have the choke before I, get the hooks in, it's like people aren't ready to defend it. Usually you put the hooks in and people are already here, and now you have to hand fight, and you're there for who knows how long. Right. Where if I get my choke first, then it's like if I need the hooks for control, I can get them in, but you're already choking, so you're worried about that.
0: So is this Dean coaching? Did he coach you to do it this way?
2: Oh, yeah. He definitely came up with a whole game plan of that where it's just uh, going for the choke just opportunistically
0: wow just because you're so good at it
2: i i feel like literally i've worked with dean since day one so i think it's he kind of also just uh molded this game plan for me
0: that's awesome he's the second best dressed guy in mma it's like just like a neck and neck with him and bruce buffer well, I think you got to give the nod to Buffer.
2: Yeah, I think you have to give it to Buffer. He has such
0: crazy suits. He has suits with, like, pictures of Elvis inside of him and shit. <laughs> he's like, every suit is weirder. They're crazy. They're so beautiful, too. They're all perfectly tailored. Oh, yeah. He must have 100,000 of them. I mean, how many fucking suits does that guy have?
1: He changes multiple times now, too. Oh, he's like, a maniac. Main card suit. Yeah. card suit.
0: Bro, his tailor must be balling. Because it's all custom-made shit. Look at this one. It's beautiful. Oh, that's Miami. Uh, What's in there? It's him? What's <laughs> it's all the things? Oh, in Vegas! Vegas! Oh, it's all him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's his own lining
2: of his own jacket.
1: Yeah, like, he's a, it's a comic book or something.
0: How dope is it though that when that guy yells your name?
2: I know. Literally, last fight, I had to think to myself, "I'm like, all right, that's Bruce Bufford. Just focus on the fight. <laughs> <laughs> like, just think about Pierre right now." Is it weird? It's definitely weird. I don't know. It's everything is weird about this for me. It's just like. I don't I'm just like, I guess, a socially awkward kind of don't really put myself out there. Well, I do with fighting, but it's like I've never really put myself out there in life. So it's like to be in these kind of positions. It's just it's all a lot for me.
0: Wow. Well, it's amazing that the way you handle fighting, you could handle this the same way you handle fighting. You just get comfortable with it.
2: I think that uh, I don't know. For me, social situations are a lot harder than like fighting situations. Wow, that's think, crazy. Oh yeah, like. Talk, Has it always been like that? A hundred percent. Since you were a child? Yeah, I, I feel like I've always been like the like socially awkward kid in the back of the class, like the nerd. Well, I still am like at the gym, <laughs> but um, I volunteered with animals my whole life. I uh, uh, volunteered at like an, uh, the Humane Society, a horse rescue uh wildlife rehab but just like animals were my thing and then it was just kind of left field I started kickboxing when I was 16.
0: Just for fun?
2: uh, Yeah I really don't know where it came like what the idea was but uh. Where'd you
0: start? What gym?
2: At Dean's gym. Oh okay
0: (laughs) wow you got lucky.
2: So exactly uh one of Dean's pro fighters worked for my dad So uh, I wanted to start kickboxing, and then my dad found out that this guy was a pro fighter for Dean. So he ended up finding his gym, and that was the first gym I started at.
0: Wow. Wow, what a great place to start. And so then you start kickboxing, and how long before you decide, well, what about this MMA stuff? How long was that? (laughs) Uh,
2: I think it was— probably, like, four or five months before I started taking the MMA class there. But I wasn't, like, thinking about fighting. It was just uh, there was a kid who was on the wrestling team at my high school who started training at Dean's Gym, and he was like, oh, why don't you take the MMA class? And I thought, okay, I'll have a partner. Why don't I try it? And I just kept on doing it. And then I was training, like, every day for, like, three hours a night, you know? And they're like, all right, well, why don't we just get you a fight at this point?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. What was it about fighting and martial arts that you became so obsessed with?
2: I really think it was a, a one. I, I don't know what it was at first because I didn't start jujitsu, especially in the gi, until like a year after I started training. But I, when I started gi Jitsu I fell in love with that 100 percent where it's just the technique of it and the the little tiny details of jiu-jitsu that matter so much like if you put your thumb on this side of the hand or on this side of the hand mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference it's like the little tiny techniques that can make the difference where now a 115 pound girl at the time could do whatever she wanted to a 200 pound guy you know i was manhandling these guys around the room <laughs> and i'm like just because these techniques that i learned and i, I thought that was awesome
0: Yeah, that is an amazing thing. Jiu-jitsu is the one martial art that delivers as promised, where the smaller trained person can defeat the larger untrained person. Whereas a lot of other martial arts, I mean, you have a better chance, but when they're really big, you know, and some guy's swinging, if he knows how to punch a little bit and you get clubbed with one of those giant hams, uh, you get fucked up. But if you get into a struggle, like some sort of a scramble – And you knock into some chairs and all of a sudden you you get a hold of this person. Now he's fucked. That's what's crazy. It's like that a small person can physically control and submit a a much stronger person regularly. It happens all the time. It happens with black belts.
2: Uh, Even in striking, it's like a person cannot know anything. But if they're big enough, they throw their hand the right way. They can knock you out. (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah. If you get hit with Francis Ngannou's pinky. You're in trouble. <laughs> exactly. You know, there's certain people that they're so powerful. Like the idea that you're gonna stand and trade with them is crazy. you're gonna hit you once and you're dead. <laughs> you know, that's like that just doesn't work that well.
2: Jiu Jitsu, it's just there's the not the uh variant of space. Right. So there's not that element of like guessing where it's mm-hmm. like I can control and I can feel what you're gonna do by touching you it's like it makes it a lot easier you're not guessing what that space is striking
0: you're also not guessing the variables like how fast is this person what how fast am i accustomed to people punching me is this person much faster do i have to to anticipate that because if you ever see like street fight videos the the most horrific ones are some poor asshole who wants to start a fight with someone who's a trained fighter and the trained fighter fucks him up but you could see, like, they have no idea how fast things can happen. Like, you, I'm sure you've seen the Joe Schilling one. Yes, the yeah. Joe I mean, Schilling one's yeah. are ridiculous! But yeah. there's no way that guy could've known that that could happen that quickly. There's no way.
2: And but, people don't expect, like, like for someone like me, a lot of times I get, oh. Uh, I would never guess that you're a fighter for someone like Joe Schilling is still even like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't like just looks see like him an axe in...
0: ex- murderer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you just see him walking around like most people. You don't expect that they're Joe
0: Schilling. You don't expect well, it. I don't he know, looks with like him, a psycho probably. to me. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> but say like Ryan Hall.
0: Ryan Hall is a great example. Yeah.
2: You don't expect yeah. him to be a fighter. But it's like you never know what somebody's capable of when it comes to sports like this.
0: Oh, for sure. With Jujitsu, Mikey Musumechi. Yeah,
2: I mean, exactly. That's the best example. Yeah.
0: Mikey is a stone cold killer. And he looks like a guy who comes over to fix your computer. <laughs> like he, he's, he looks like the, the friendliest super nerd. This
1: video.
0: Oh, this video's horrible. This is a street fight in, in a parking garage. Have you seen this? No. These guys start fucking with this dude in a parking garage. The guy's trying to get away. No, he fucked the other guy up before this.
1: This is a shorter version.
0: Okay, this is the shorter version. Okay, this a shorter version. So this guy, he's, try, he's like, come on, you want some? And he moves forward. This guy leg kicks him. And then... This is where it gets ugly. Punches them, Boom. bam.
1: It's out.
0: Yeah, you don't want okay. that. Like, what, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome to see that stuff works, right, for people, like, hey, this is real. Someone tries to attack you, you have an upper hand. But also, like, what are you doing? Yeah, are these like- fucking people.
2: Uh, I've never been in a street fight in my life. Good for you. And like, I don't intend to ever, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I, I don't get it. Like, yeah, there's, a, I, I don't see a use for fighting outside the cage for me. Like, I, a lot of
0: people with man- anger management issues. And then there's criminals too, and, you know, bad folks.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff in the world, but I just. For me, um, I think it's fascinating that you are more afraid of social interaction than you're afraid of cage fighting. (laughs) That might be one of the greatest lines that anyone has ever said. I think that's going to get you a lot of fans. (laughs) For real.
2: For me, it's just like literally I never really – uh, did any kind of interviews or media or anything like that until I got in the Tough House.
0: Uh-huh. So
2: that's going from absolutely zero to one hundred percent.
0: What was that like? You you were like twenty two yeah, at the time. I was yeah. twenty
2: two, and I was having interviews every day, cameras on you, twenty four seven. Literally after every single interview, I had to go and change my shirt because I'd be dripping sweat like I just got out the sauna. Whoa! Just so nervous <laughs> after every single interview. <laughs>
0: Do you think they brought you into the house knowing that you were nervous, too? that Like that you're a little socially awkward in that regard and like that maybe that would make good television?
2: Uh, I guess I never thought of it in that way.
0: <laughs> uh, Obviously, they brought you in because you're skillful. Yeah. But, but they also cast that show as a reality show. It's a very cleverly done show you know like it's it's smart the way they do it they like even with what they're doing now with Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler it's great but perfect sh- perfect shit talking when Conor tells him you'll do as you told <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing okay, i hope that fight takes place but it's it's such a it's such a show right so it's not mm-hmm. just an athletic competition it's also they want to make sure the people are fun
2: oh yeah our season seemed pretty like tame though i feel like in general we had a lot of there was me and Montana Delarosa were the two like younger girls and then everybody else I feel like was like older and more mature. Like mm-hmm. around like at least like thirties and like they were like I don't. Nobody was trying to start drama. Nobody was trying to like get in each other's faces, or we didn't have any altercations. It was like it was, it was a pretty chill season.
0: That's great. So no one ever encourages like any bickering or anything like that. They don't ever tell you, hey, you know that bitch has been saying some shit. <laughs> does anybody ever do that?
2: No, nobody ever really does anything like that. But it's just like the boredom gets to you. If anything else, it's like uh, I feel like no it,
0: phones, right?
2: No phones, no TV, no music, no books, no nothing. No books. Nothing at all. Oh, my
0: God. Nothing? So it's like... Can you have a notebook?
2: You're allowed to get a notebook, and then they gave us... We uh, asked for coloring books, and they gave us sketch pads.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I think I would go nuts. That sounds like one of those uh, like anti-tech retreats, you know? Exactly. Where they try to uh, weed people off their tech... Tech addictions.
2: I was just talking to one of the boys who's actually on the Conor McGregor season over the weekend, and he said the exact same thing as me. He's like, It was the best and worst experience of my life. Because it's like when you're in the gym, there's so many highs, it's so great. But then when you go back to the house, you're just sitting there for hours and you're bored and it sucks.
0: What do you guys do to kill time? Can you play games? Do they have, like, I used to, they used to have pool, right?
2: Yeah, uh, I think they had a pool table and a chess table, and then they have, like, the list where you can order anything.
0: Oh, so you could order, like, Monopoly?
2: Yeah, so we would order a bunch of bullshit just, just, try just to try and play. entertain ourselves.
0: God. Did you well, it, Did you have good conversations? Uh, Or was it weird because uh, you're all competitors?
2: It, it's weird. Well, not because they're competitors, because I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's yeah, awesome.
2: I'm like, I felt like I, I, especially back then, I wasn't able to just like, I don't know, acclimate to that. Going into a house with 16 different girls that I don't really know.
0: Right, yeah, that that uh, a completely alien experience. And you're so you're feeling a little bit awkward, and you're also 22, and then also, bam, now you're on TV.
2: And it's my first time, like, really, like, leaving home, I would say, you know, for a long period of time. So it was it was definitely a big experience, like, a lot to How dig on. How long ago was that now? Um, six years. Six years. Yeah.
0: So would you, would you say that now you're entering into your fighting prime? Do you think that's happening right now?
2: Oh, yeah. I think this is, like, just the beginning of my prime. I'm just getting into where I've really found the right combination for everything. And I feel like I'm just getting better every fight.
0: Are you ranked right now? In the, w- where are you at?
2: Uh, my next fight is against the number 15 girl, uh, Tabitha mm. Ricky.
0: Interesting. She's tough. Oh, That'll yeah. be fun. That'll be a good one.
2: Yeah, I'm like it's coming up quick, June twenty fourth.
0: Oh wow, that is quick. How how many would you? What was like your ideal camp size? Like for, in terms of weeks?
2: Uh, I would say probably about six to eight weeks. I like just to get focused on that opponent. Really started. Uh, breaking down their style and game planning for them specifically. Uh but it's like with the UFC, you never know what you're getting.
0: Right, like how often do they call you last minute?
2: Uh, I've gotten a handful of last minute ones and then I feel like it's almost just as bad getting like the ones 16 weeks out and things like that cuz you're just sitting there waiting for mm. so long.
0: Um or you run the risk of overtraining.
2: Yeah, well Have you
0: ever done that? We I, peaked too early in a camp.
2: I feel like I train year-round no matter what. So it's like it's never really like we're – we push it the last couple of weeks, but that's about it. So. Really?
0: so you're just always training so hard that you can essentially take – well, that's great if you want to take a short-notice fight. Yeah. Because you're always prepared.
2: I train probably about four or five hours in the morning and about an hour at night even if I'm off camp. Like in camp, out of camp, it doesn't matter. I, wow. On the same schedule.
0: It's just obsession.
2: Yeah, I got nothing better to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, what an amazing way to get better. You know, I mean, wh- like when you think about grappling and you think about Gordon Ryan, uh, it, no one doubts that he's the best no gi grappler ever, right? But no one also doubts that he works 365 days a year. Like, that's, that's an insane work schedule, and these are insane results. I, and you're essentially doing that in MMA
2: that's what i think you see with like a lot of black belts or like people who are at a high level is they stop drilling. They stop mm. doing the stuff that like Gordon Ryan still drills every day and yep. that's why he's so good at what he does. And it's like people at a high level in MMA they're just doing what the black belts do and sitting on the side until it's time to roll, you mm. know? Yeah. And it's like you got to be drilling every day. You got to be putting in the hours uh like my coaches are there with me uh every hour of the day if i wanted for them to be you know they're willing to put in the work and like i said as fighters we got nothing better to do (laughs) this is what we do like you got to treat it as like you're going to school a doctorate you know
0: well i think that approach your approach is perfect that's the right way to do it i I really do i mean but everybody's different you know so people have like different ways of fighting and different ways of approaching fighting some are much more chaotic than like you and your style but I think that's that's the best way to look at it. And I think too often people love to roll because rolling's so fun. It's so fun that you just don't even want to do all that other stuff. You know, let me get warmed up a little bit and let's fucking go. Let's go. You, know, you just want to go because it's so exciting. It's the most fun thing and it's exercise. So it's like engaging intellectually. It's physically. It's emotionally engaging. It's like sometimes you're like fuck. Like, you're, you're going to tap, and you don't, and there's a lot going on. There's battles going on. And it's a great workout. And if you can do it, and if you could do it on a regular basis, it could change your life. It could change your life. And it's available to everybody. Like, this idea that it's all brutes. When you go to 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, you see these like, dudes who look like skateboarders and surfers, and they'll strangle you. It's weird. It's like they're super nerd assassins. There's a, t- a ton of them, and, and you're one of them on the female side.
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's, uh, I don't know, for me, it's like I said, I've never been, like, someone athletic. I volunteered with animals growing up, you know? I was always the quiet kid in the back of the class, and it's like just I I don't know, with jujitsu, it's being able to be that, like, I, I don't know, be that voice in a way, you know, being mm-hmm. that way to express myself. And it's, I I feel like it it was just, like, completely not who I was when I was little you know it's just it's a complete yeah, out of left field
0: but it's you you know you're just growing you know this is the new you <laughs> right I mean it is you yeah And yeah, you're yeah. gonna if you continue and you become champion you're gonna have to do a lot of this shit oh yeah <laughs> you're gonna have to do a lot of this shit you know I mean um how many fights do you think you are away from a title shot it's a stacked division
2: I don't think I'm too far away from it currently. Uh I think that on as after this fight, I would like uh, I'm not looking past Sabbath at all, but I'm also like looking at w- the trage- trajectory of where I'm going and uh obviously Mackenzie Dern just put on a great performance a couple yeah. weeks ago and uh she has the second most submissions in uh women's history and I have the first, so it's like I think uh I would like to you know just solidify that everybody calls her the submission queen even though i'm like i have more than her
0: well she's pretty awesome but you are too that would be a crazy fight
2: yeah, okay, and i think then that after that fight i wouldn't be too far away from the title fight
0: i was very impressed with her against angela hill angela hill is so tough she was taking so many shots. Like, oh, my God. And just fight. would not give up that armbar. Like, so many times, mm-hmm. Mackenzie came so close to getting that armbar, and Angela was just not giving up. But,
2: oof. I think that's the best Mackenzies we've seen so ever, far.
0: Ever. Just, like... To, it was incredible incredible performance and super aggressive too
2: exactly like, that's what i feel like was so beneficial yeah. for her she doesn't have to worry about getting taken down right typically you know so no. she can be a little bit reckless and come in with those strikes and that's exactly what she needed to do with angela hill and she was able to do it
0: and she's dangerous on her feet now too it used to be just the ground but now she's winging bombs and she she hit angela with a knee You know, she's very dangerous.
2: He says she doesn't have to be scared, you know, so she can throw, overcommit to any Mm -hmm. strike, throw with all her power. And it doesn't matter because it's like, put me on my back. Like, thank you. Like, come into my guard.
0: Yeah, there's guards, you know, and then some, I mean, her guard is fucking nasty. Her guard is so high level. Everything she does is so high-level. It's like when you can watch jiu-jitsu like that in MMA, like a real-world champion, when it goes to the ground, like her like moving from position to position to position to finally securing it, it's like, woof! It's so quick. She's so good. So good and so technical. You know, her dad's a legend. It's just like that kind of like high-level jiu-jitsu in MMA is some of my favorite shit to watch. You know, there's there's certain people that just have either one or two elite high-level moves that they could pull off. And when they do it, you just like, you're doing this to the best of the best in the world.
2: Yeah, I feel like with jujitsu, it's just like, I, I don't know, just moving with people so much. I feel like it's so impressive to watch how people can just float on top of people. Mm-hmm. It's like knowing when to control and when to release almost, you know, when uh, you really need it. I don't some people are specialists at control but like for someone like me I feel like I'm I'm better at flowing you know and letting people fall make their own mistakes and fall into things where it's like someone like Khabib is that pressure kind of fighter.
0: Right. You're you're better at finding the openings as you, you you threaten them in different areas and just move into position and hold it.
2: Or uh, not necessarily me threatening them, but them falling into their own mistake. Oh. I I feel like I like to like I'm just sitting there doing damage until I see the opening, until I see my opportunity, until I see that one mistake that you made and I capitalize on it.
0: And is this. How you've always done it, or is this something you're you're doing now better than you've ever done before?
2: This is something I'm definitely doing now better than I've ever done before. Was this the and,
0: same approach that you had in the beginning of your career when you first started?
2: Um, I don't think as much, just because... Now I feel I feel like I went from a, a jujitsu girl who did MMA to an MMA fighter more. Mm. Whereas like now uh, I don't know, like a lot of my early submissions were arm bars off my back where I was just comfortable playing guard. I didn't care because I was good at jujitsu. Whereas like now I'm always looking to do damage wherever I'm at. Typically uh, like to sit on top and do heavy ground and pound and heavy top pressure until they're like all right we need to get this girl off me i need to stand up and then that's when i capitalize typically off, a lot of times off the stand up is where i find my choke or if they're just staying on their back is where my armbar open up or like head and arms other opportunities where i just don't like to give up that top position <laughs>
0: Yeah, top position so so important. It's just, if you can control the top, it's just much easier for you than it is for the other pro. And it's also kind of humiliating. <laughs> someone's on top of you in front of all these people punching you in the face.
2: It's also just a lot to carry on top of yeah. you. It makes it, you gas, makes yeah, it, it heavy. Yeah. And that, like, I feel like nobody understands the cardio that it takes to get up and get down and get up and get down in MMA versus, like, if you're just doing jiu-jitsu or you're just doing kickboxing rounds. It's like once you mix it all together, it's just—it changes the pace.
0: Clearly, yeah. I remember one of the most brilliant things that um, uh, when George St. Pierre fought BJ Penn, he wanted to grapple with him immediately. He wanted to really get a hold of him right away to wear his arms out. He goes, I wanted his arms to be filled with blood. So like it changes it changes your ability to throw punches, changes your ability to get snap off to explode. You're you're kind of gassed out because you you've been pummeling and trying to avoid being taken to the ground. It's just this when people don't know when they see like your fights these these exchanges against the cage, those are some of the most grueling moments in all of MMA. Just the the battle to see who wins this thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. Especially against the cage. Honestly, a lot of those battles, I'm just like, if we can find an opportunity to break off, I'm willing to. Because it's like, if I didn't get the takedown initially, then I'm just going to be grueling. Like you said, like it's going to be hard work to get them down. Yeah. Where it's like, why don't let's break off, reset, and find the opportunity, find the right timing for the takedown instead of sitting here and just grinding it out and just tiring both of us out.
0: <laughs> it's... um. It's such a, a an, an interesting time for uh, MMA because you're seeing people like yourself that are young and grew up with it and got to watch it on television. And got to, w- w- did, What was the first MMA fight that you ever saw?
2: I think the first one that I ever watched was uh, John Jones and I think it was Rashad Evans.
0: So <laughs> you are watching it at a very high level, as opposed to a lot of the people that, like even John Jones. The stuff he got to see was stuff from 10 years before that. And like the kids of today, the kids like yourself, like you, the the people growing up now, you guys have the most um, amazing library of champions to study in, in all the different forms of martial arts. And to see people like yourself that are putting it together so obsessively and, 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 and to watch it succeed over and over again inside the octagon, it's fucking cool. I love it. It's re- it's so such an exciting time.
2: I feel like it's the beginning of MMA as a sport, mm. where it's like so, for so long it's been jujitsu guys who do a little bit of striking or like right. r- like wrestlers or strikers, but now it's like it's people putting it together and making styles and systems based upon the, these things, yeah. where it's like. I feel like, honestly, Dean, obviously I work with him, but he's one of the best in trying to innovate, and that's why I appreciate his mind so much of just trying to make it MMA as a sport whenever he's on the techniques that he has me drilling, where I feel like it's like Donaher innovated the uh, no-gi game with leg locks. It's like we need to change this from being kickboxing, jujitsu, and wrestling to being mixed martial arts.
0: Dean always has awesome input whenever we're doing the shows and they cut to him. He'll always point out something that I probably missed. And when you're watching these high-level people that are, that are coming up right now, it, there, there is still the room for the specialist. There's still the room for, like, the Anderson Silva-style striking. The, the problem is with all fights is they all start standing up. And if you are standing up with a guy like Alex Pajeda, like, you're in a world of danger. This is a terrifying world. Like, so there are still those specialists that are so goddamn dangerous at this one aspect of the game that they can get through. And the problem with, like, I always wonder, will there be, like, because Israel is a striking specialist too. But will there be an MMA fighter that is complete everywhere to the point where they can stand with a world champion kickboxer? Is that a real thing or is is that only a few freaks or is that, is that it seems like in order to be a world champion kickboxer, you have to really dedicate yourself only to striking. The timing that's involved, the distance. No, you're not thinking about takedowns. You're not thinking about anything else. For you to be a world champion MMA fighter, you have to be well-versed in so many different things. Can, do you really have the time to dedicate to get to the kickboxing level that this guy is? And every fight starts kickboxing. Every fight starts way apart from each other. And when you got a guy like Pajeda moving towards you with that crazy style, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know? Or Adesanya, like, standing in front of you, moving. And you're like, this motherfucker has to be three moves ahead. We haven't even started exchanging yet.
2: Yeah. Uh, I guess you got to hope to t- get those guys on their back I quick, know. you know? <laughs> That's what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> but it's interesting but, to watch, like, the evolution of Robert Whittaker. You know, because yeah. Robert Whittaker, you know, he evolved so much more from the first fight to the second fight. He got so much better.
2: Yeah, no, I, I don't know. It's definitely, uh, when you have a good striker, it's hard to, obviously, like we discussed earlier with the space, you yeah. know, you can never guess what's going to happen. But it's just like, I feel like if you are a good grappler or a good wrestler and you are able to get it to the Mac, you can be that much more effective than mm. having a good striker in front of you.
0: Yes, well, you certainly can. The, the The difference is you can control what's happening. when If you can get someone and you get on top of them, right? The, the, what I always wonder is like, I wonder if there are the people like Pajeda or of that ilk, uh, Cedric Dumbay, who I think is now going to fight for PFL. He's Have you ever seen that guy fight? No. Holy shit. He's a glory world champion kickboxer, and he he's a bad man. And he has a crazy work ethic, too. He used my gym when he was in town, and he has a coach. And they do these strength and conditioning routines. <clears throat> Excuse me. They do these uh, strength and conditioning routines where it's um, like one round of sprinting on the uh, one of those uh, self-propelled treadmills and then one, one round of going hard on the bag and then one round of plyos and they're just rotating back and forth between all these different exercises. His cardio is off the charts and he's like... That's it. It's the that's the game plan. The game plan is you put heat on them with technique and athleticism and tech and and strategy. But you put heat on them, they can't keep up. They just can't because they not they're not gonna work that hard. If you get to that level of fitness, like you can have this extra thing that other people just don't have, and Cedric Dumez has that extra thing. But can he wrestle? Like, is he gonna be able to stuff takedowns? How? How are these guys going to deal with getting him to the ground because as you're moving in on him, you could get any second you get knocked unconscious. It could come out of nowhere and he might just take a wild shot at you because he doesn't want to get taken down. Maybe he just, maybe he says, let's see, let me just throw a head kick. You know, it's like, I like watching that too. I, I love watching someone like yourself. I love watching these MMA fighters of today. They're these full, complete artists. Get some of his highlights, not the training highlights, but I know he's been doing a lot of uh, MMA training But go to his kickboxing highlights. His kickboxing highlights are preposterous He's a bad man And he's got some vicious knockouts And he's just clever in there. He's just clever. I love the And then he's fighting. That guy's Nikki Holtzkin, who's a beast I mean, Doom Bay is And constant pressure. Like, you don't get breaks with him if you get a break, it's because he wants you to have a break. <laughs> I mean, he just swarms on dudes.
2: I just feel like if you look at that pressure in MMA, it's like it would be impossible to maintain with with the variable of takedowns. Look at that. Slip. <laughs>
0: just hit the, it would be impossible. Yeah. You, you're, you're true. It's absolutely. Watch this when the, when he misses. Look at this.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just chilling. He's actually a comedian. <laughs> oh, wow. He's a
0: comedian in France.
2: Uh, oh, wow. Yeah.
0: It's crazy. It's <laughs> crazy. That's and he's crazy, one of the yeah. best
2: kickboxers alive.
0: Yeah. Multi-talented. So, it is. Very multi-talented. Super funny guy, too. And he, you know, if he can figure out the grappling, my 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 question is always like, is it better to be well-rounded or is it better to be a specialist? It used to, I used to think it'd be better to be a specialist wrestler. I felt like, and I still think that to a certain extent, that at least the base beginning of amateur wrestling Those guys seem to be the toughest. They seem to be, they have the most mental fortitude. The grind of becoming a successful wrestler is unlike any other athletic pursuit that I ever, I only wrestled in high school for one year is one of the hardest things in my life. (laughs) It's fucking hard. But these guys are, it's particularly good at the most important thing, getting the fight to the ground and getting on top of people, right? That's the number one thing. Those guys are the best at it. So I felt like that's like the cornerstone. But every fight does start standing up. And so then you get a guy like Murko Krokop who figures out how stuff takedowns and now you're dealing with one of the most elite kickboxers alive. And it's horrifying, right? So I always wonder, like, what is the best approach? Do you think it's to be a fully rounded mixed martial artist putting all your time in all these different things? Or do you think maybe there's some room for the idea of, like, the world champion specialist?
2: I think it's best to uh, focus on everything, try to make yourself a mixed martial artist. I think if you are a specialist to begin with, say, like, uh, someone like him who's a world, uh, world champion kickboxer, you probably shouldn't be investing, t- like, all your time into jujitsu at that point. You should probably... Stay the specialist, you know, like go to MMA and like learn how to defend takedowns. You shouldn't be learning like how to finish arm bars necessarily, you know, right. putting a gi on day one. It's like you don't need to learn that at this point. You should focus on what you're good at. But if you are day one, I think you should like focus on everything and putting everything all together because it's like I can have someone who is a better wrestler than me, but I can guarantee you they won't, won't want to stay in my guard, you know? Right. It's like, and a, I, For me especially, I think the two most important are striking and jiu-jitsu because they are the finishing elements. So it's like those are the ways I can take people out of the fight where it's like wrestling, I can control a little bit more, but I don't have any finishing options.
0: Well, that's a a brilliant way of looking at it. I think you're right. I think if you're starting from the beginning, I think learning everything would be very advantageous because you wouldn't want to think you're, you know, You you wouldn't want to think you're safer than you are, and then someone takes you down at will, and you're like, oh Jesus! Like if you just learned martial arts, like striking martial arts, and you don't maybe
2: I should learn jujitsu.
0: Maybe I need to learn. That's probably not the
2: moment to learn.
0: (laughs) No, but I do think there's there's some room for people that at least if you come, maybe it's like if you get to a certain age, maybe at a certain age you you must go all in on all MMA. But if you could be a specialist early in your life, like if you're a specialist in striking, I think maybe early in your life, you would have a, like, if you look at all the best kickboxers and even all the best boxers for the most part, a lot of them start when they're very young. It seems to be like striking for some reason. I think there's freaks. There's, there's people that just learn it. And and even when they're in their thirties, they can learn it and they get really good at it. But for a lot of people, there's something about the timing of striking that if you don't pick it up when you're really young, you don't really achieve this sort of, there's like a plateau for a lot of folks. Have you ever noticed that?
2: Uh, I don't, for me, I'm like, I don't, striking has never been like my forte. I started striking before I started jiu-jitsu. It's just, jiu-jitsu just clicked for me. Striking, I feel like it just takes that little bit more of like athleticism, I mm-hmm. guess, where it's like, I, I'm i not the most athletic fighter, so it's like, I feel like I can't really use my mind to just make quicker decisions in striking as much as I can in uh, jiu-jitsu where it's easier to.
0: <laughs> well, that's a brilliant way to do it. I, I think, you know, especially for your mind and your your approach, the striking is just a means to an end, right? You're just trying to, you're trying to strangle people.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like I'm not going to say I'm never going to have a knockout because obviously I want – that's the goal is to be able to develop power. But it's just – it's so much easier for like a heavyweight to just throw his fist and knock somebody out where someone – a girl like – any of the twenty five or fifteen ers the smaller girls, it's like it's really hard to develop that kind of power unless you're born with it. Well,
0: <laughs> that's why Valentina is so scary. Valentina oh, yeah. Shevchenko, when she landed that uh, head kick on Jessica, I, I was like,
1: "Ooh,
0: that was nasty."
2: Oh, yeah. Nasty knockouts like that with girls, I feel like it's just, they're not common. So when you see them, it's like, you got to have respect for that girl. Yeah.
0: Well, Valentina, that fucking left high kick. Holy shit. And she set it up to the body before that. She's so good. And she's always like light on her toes. You know, her style is so interesting. You know, it's a very, it's like when she, you know, she lost the title now, obviously. And I would love to see the rematch because the fight was awesome. But... If you look at her, like, the best moments in her career, she's, like, always moving, always on her toes. Perfect technique with striking.
2: Yeah, She's rarely out of position. I feel like that's one of the things I've always admired about her. It's, like, it's it's hard to do what Alexa did, is to Mm -hmm. be able to get her out of position and be able to capitalize on it. Get her to, like, mentally not be there for a split second and be able to see that opportunity.
0: Isn't it crazy that she did it off a spinning back kick?
2: It's... I I feel like Valentina was just kind of like, this chick won't go away. I thought this was going to be easier. And she started making, like, not the smartest decisions.
0: You really think that's what happened? You don't think maybe it was just fatigue?
2: I think a little bit of that, but a little bit of frustration maybe, Mm. too. Just, like, Valentina was winning the fight and had a lot of good opportunities. But Alexa, like, Alexa was the only one walking in there knowing that she was going to win that fight no matter what that night.
0: (laughs) Well, is that real? Can you know that you're going to win no matter what? You can have that attitude. So you could say afterwards, I knew I was going to win no matter what. But uh. it, it, there's, That's two world titles that were essentially lost to a spinning back kick miss. You ever see uh, Chris Weidman? When, when Chris Weidman fought Luke Rockhold, he was winning the fight. It was like a really good fight. And then he throws a spinning back kick. And he misses, and Luke Rockhold takes him to the ground. And beats the fuck out of him. And it was a horrible beating. It was it was a, a really dominant performance by Rockhold. It was hard to watch. And that, he lost the title. And then you look at Valentina, same thing. Spinning back kick, misses. Alexa Grasso gets her, gets her back, chokes her. Crazy. It's like two world titles on a spinning back kick miss.
2: I feel like it was just like, I don't. It wasn't a smart thing. It was just like a lapse of thought for her for that second where she was just like alright I'm gonna throw this and Alexa just capitalized. She saw the opportunity and took it.
0: Well if she landed it Then it would have been something different. She has a nasty spinning back kick. She really does So this is uh Wyman and they were in the middle of this fight. Wyman was moving forward on Rockhold And this is a Wyman was the fucking man. This was a tough fight very tough fight But Wybin's putting all this pressure on him, kicks him to the body, looks like he's putting it to him, head kick. So right there, right there. One, it's like he's beating him up, like he's big brothering him, right? And he throws a lazy wheel kick. And he gets taken down. And now Luke Rockhold's a motherfucker on the ground. And that boy's big. Luke Rockhold's big. You know, he made 185 for about 15 seconds. Yeah. He's he's well into the 200s, I'm sure, when he's fighting. He's a big fellow. Big, long, strong as shit with crazy top pressure. And so here you go, Weidman's... Exhausted now and I can't believe he's in this position. It's a terrible position to be in. I mean you talk, Rockhold's training with DC He's training with Khabib. He's training with all those people down there all those animals and aka Cain Velasquez It's just a savage soup down there Yeah, AKA. Exactly. And so Luke Rockhold people forget, you know people see some of his losses and see him in the, in the later stages of his career When Luke Rockhold was a champ and this right here that he won the title this motherfucker had staff. He came into this fight on antibiotics. He's just gotten over staff. You know how hard it is to get over antibiotics, fuck you up. And to be winning this fight in this way is In fucking credible. And all off of Weidman missing one shot, really. Look, I mean, he's just beating the shit out of him. It's hard to watch, man. Because Weidman is like really kind of helpless at this point. And he's so battered from these elbows that it's like, and he's too tough. He's so mm-hmm. tough, the guy will never quit. And so this is, this is one where I'm like, maybe this could have been stopped earlier. You could stop this at any second <laughs> right here. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't you it, think? It keeps going, too. Bro, this, is crazy. To a, oh no, this is
1: crazy. This is crazy. That might have been the round.
0: Unbelievable punishment dished out.
1: I think it was the Luke round, out? even. I think they keep going. What was, yeah, yeah, oh my gosh
2: what? <laughs> again, with that
0: kick to the body by it went on after that. That's right. That's right. And it gets oh my god. It happens again though It happens again. That's right oh. How tough is Chris Weidman that motherfucker is so tough whoo But sometimes careers can change off of one missed technique, which is one of the wildest things about MMA Careers can change.
2: Yeah, okay, Anything can happen at anything at any moment. I feel like it's yeah. like it like I say, you can go in and you can be a better striker than the person. You can just get caught. It can be their night. They can show up better. It's like there's a lot of my fights where it's like, I feel like I am the better fighter, but they showed up that night.
0: <laughs> it's it's, is it is it's always a learning process though right like every experience that you have you're putting into your your mental database of like how to deal with different conditions how to deal with different thoughts that come in your head
2: oh yeah i i feel like it's a huge learning process and for me i think like i didn't really get a lot of regional experience you know i was 3 and 2 when i came into the tough house wow so i'm going on my next fight will be my 15th UFC fight to
0: so go so. 3 and 2 tough house and then Liverpool.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so
0: crazy. Oh, my God, what a wild ride.
2: Yeah, so a lot of my learning experience was in the UFC. In
0: the UFC in front of the whole world.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Chris Weidman, when he knocked out Anderson Silva, that was another one of those, how did that happen? What What is going on moments? Where, like, everybody thought that Anderson Silva was untouchable at that point. That was that moment where you know, you realize like this sport is nuts. Even the people that you think are the greatest of all time, they can get cracked and knocked unconscious. Like it ha- like Leon Edwards, when he knocked out Kamaru Usman in the last round, like, what? What? Kamaru? When he lands that head kick and you see Kamaru, who's like one of the most durable guys that's ever lived, he gets cracked, he gets back up, he seems fine always in every fight. And this one he gets put out, it almost seemed surreal. Like when Tyson got knocked out by Buster Douglas. Like what? Like what is happening?
2: It's crazy. It's like, like you say, you can be the better fighter. You could beat, win that fight nine out of ten times and then just that one time is that night. Is that, That's what happens.
0: Especially at a high level, right?
2: Especially at a high level. It's like, You can't make any kind of mistake. It's like on a regional level, say you make a little mistake, but they're not going to capitalize on it because they're just they're not smart enough, maybe, you know, it's like (laughs) a a lot of or like whatever it is. But then once you get up to a high level, it's like these people are good. If you make that one little mistake, then you're getting knocked out. You're getting subbed. You don't have those kind of opportunities. So it's definitely a, a learning experience there.
0: There's also the difference between people that that are fighting that train and people that train like you. train there's a big difference the fact that you do it constantly and consistently it's just such an advantage i believe because you know i mean i know it just from training in jujitsu even when i was training like four days a week like really regularly i would be in with those guys that are training five six seven days a week and they would be getting better than me like, and I knew it, you could tell, it's in your head, like, okay, do you wanna go psycho and be here seven days a week? Or do you wanna to try to live a life? Like, how are you gonna balance this? You know, They're gonna get better than you. It's impossible to stop, it's just a thing that people do. If you can dedicate enough time and focus on to something over long periods of time, if you really stay true to it, you get better and better and better, and when, I see someone like yourself that does that and goes from the tough house and goes to that fight in Liverpool. To me, that's like one of the great American success stories. That was fucking, I mean, that's really amazing. It's an amazing thing to be uh, this person who's a socially awkward kid, and then all of a sudden you strangle some girl in her hometown in front of the whole world in this crazy arena. Like, that's wild.
2: Oh, no. It's 100%. Everything is surreal about it to me. So it's like, for me, it's like I'm just a kid who loves this shit. I love this sport, and that's about it. I love showing up every day. I love going to the gym every day. And it's like, even on my bad days, it's better than going to any other job. Like, I love training more than anything else. Like, I can always remember it's like I've worked at vet's offices. I worked at Chili's right before I got into the tough house. And I'm like, there's my... Worst days at the gym are better than any day I had to go to one of those jobs. Like, <laughs> of course. I remember like getting off of a shift at Chili's, getting off of a, a, a shift at the vet's office, working like 10 hours a day, and just going straight to the gym. And there's nothing better than the feeling of the mats underneath your feet. Like, wow. That's just what I love more than anything.
0: You can't beat that kind of dedication. That dedication trumps everything. Because even if you're really, really disciplined, you're enthusiastic too. Like, there's, like, discipline will get you through, like, a a five-mile run, you know? But, like, it's not going to, you're not going to learn as much just with discipline. Like, you kind of, enthusiasm and discipline is really the right combination. You can't just be disciplined and just kind of trudge through it because the person that's more interested in it, that's more passionate about it, more excited about it, that person's more jazzed up, they're going to learn it quicker, and they're going to put it on you quicker. It's like, it's the ultimate testing ground for ideas and focus. It really is.
2: I don't get people who don't train out of camp or they're like, "Oh yeah, I took like a month off or something." Like, "What did you do?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you do anything other than train? Like, what is what is uh, fun time?
2: I had nothing really. No hobbies,
0: no nothing, you don't play golf, oh. nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I have like a like I live in Miami, so it's like I'll go out like paddleboarding sometimes, things like that. Uh, but that's really it. like training is so much of my life and I feel like it's like a lot of the times I'm not training I just don't want to do anything cuz I'm tired. <laughs> I'm exhausted from training.
0: Yeah, I think Masayama said that about his karate students. I think they were talking about why they don't I think it's Masoyama. They it's not that they're more noble, they're tired from training. <laughs> Something like that. I might have fu- I, I'm pretty sure I fucked that up. But yeah it's if you're training all the time like that's why street fights seem so stupid you know like oh my god that's like more training like yeah exactly (laughs) more training with danger and weapons
2: yeah no i'm like i don't i don't get how people are so confident to get in street fights crazy right it's that's like you said without weapons like that's a crazy thing to me you don't know when somebody has a weapon you shoot
0: people people shoot people just be nice
2: it's not a fight exactly (laughs) there's
0: so many fucking loons out there though have you uh, ever had, uh, like, a girl come to the gym specifically to try to train with you?
2: Uh, to come train with me, yeah, definitely. Uh, I train at a smaller gym, the Goat Shed in Miami. So it's like- That
0: is a wild place that you train at. <laughs> yeah, it is. I love that you train there.
2: Uh, those co-
0: those fellows are wild.
2: Yeah, my coach, awesome, he has, like— a controlled chaos going on in there
0: <laughs> but they're getting good
2: oh yeah we uh,
0: everybody's it, getting good like i
2: said we're there at 8am 10am 11am then i'm doing cardio after everybody's there focused working it's like i feel like people see all the the crazy shit online and don't think we're actually training we're actually working but it's like there's so much technical like ability that's behind all the chaos that you oh, guys yeah. see oh yeah
0: no for sure there's there you could see that on instagram but if to the casual observer i see what you're saying Mm -hmm. but the the infectious energy in that gym is so apparent that it comes out through instagram like that's how you know it's a legit gym it's a little a little wild
2: Uh, bass right uh rootin seminar
0: bassito he was just here
2: yeah he was there he's uh, the fucking man last week i want to say we had a seminar
0: he's the fucking man i love that dude okay some girl yeah. had her legs open. I don't know what that was all about. I don't. Don't look at that one, Jamie. Yeah, Miami's a wild ass place. It's actually not a bad post. It's not. It's clever. It's, it's clever. Like selling glasses. Oh, you click it and it's something yeah. else. Oh, she's selling sunglasses. <laughs> oh, Glasses.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's a genius. You got to entice them, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of dirty people out there. Get the clickbait. <laughs> I'm like,
0: mm-hmm. What do you think about fighters starting OnlyFans? Is that nuts?
2: Uh yeah I don't know it, it's not my thing definitely like obviously like I have friends who do it things like that but it's just I don't know it's it I feel like you you gotta be decide what you want I feel like it's hard to be committed to fighting when you're in to doing any like if you taking pictures and looking cute and doing things like that that takes time where it's like I don't have time for that shit
0: <laughs> it's not just that but then that probably makes you as much money as fighting.
2: Yeah, that's that's, that's also a thing weird. about it too. Or more money. There's a lot of yeah. girls making more money than fighting. I'm sure. Yeah,
0: are. I'm not knocking it. If I was a girl, I'd be in my underwear for sure. I'd be like, "Come see this. Give me money." <laughs> Especially when I was young. If you're a young girl, I mean, I look, I'm not encouraging anyone to start an only, first, <laughs> but I am saying, like, what what is worse? What is worse, someone looking at your butt, or you know, you having to work some stupid job for four months?
2: I can't remember who it was, but there's uh some there's a girl she had an OnlyFans and she was a fighter and she tweeted one. She's like, "You guys can pay me to use my body to fight people, but you don't want me to like pay me to use my body to like on OnlyFans. Like Ooh, you guys are like just someone was telling
0: her not to do it. Yeah, I don't believe in that. I don't <laughs> think you should be able to tell anybody what to do with their personal life. Especially like social media personal life like do whatever you want to do you want to show everybody your butt? go ahead You know, I mean it the thing is then your butts on the internet for the rest of your life and That's okay, too. I think probably there's gonna be no privacy in about a decade or so I don't think any I think we're gonna be like remember back in the day when you had privacy I think people are gonna know every thought that everybody has there's nothing hiding. You're not going to be able to hide taxes. You're not going to be, I think the way our lives are getting more and more interconnected with technology, we're going to come to a point in time where I don't think there's going to be anything to hide that anybody has. And that's going to be a weird time to be alive.
2: I swear I think about things and my iPhone tells me. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. It's like, oh, why don't, why don't you order this? I'm like, how did you even? I swear I didn't say it out loud. I just thought of it, and it
0: comes up there. I was Googling something, and then the thing that I Googled started showing up in my Instagram feed. Very specific. It's a very specific thing. I'll tell you what it is. It's a 1968 bullet Mustang. Tell me how specific that is. That's really fucking specific. Never sh- That never showed up in my Instagram feed before. But I was Googling the scene from the movie Bullet. You ever heard of the scene, the movie? Yeah. It's a Steve McQueen movie. It's filmed in San Francisco. It's the greatest car chase scene ever. And Steve McQueen has this 1968 Highland Green Mustang. And they're going through this. See if you can find it. It's fucking wild. It's a wild scene. And this is 1968. Cars drove like shit. So uh, I Google this, I watch this chase scene, and I'm looking at like builds that people have made where they've made replicas of, uh, of that car, including uh, this company called Revology that makes this sick Mustang. And um, they, they make like a new 1968 Mustang. Instead of it being a 1968 Mustang, it's like a 2023 1968 Mustang, but with modern technology in it. So this is Steve McQueen and this dude getting this wild chase scene in San Francisco. And it goes on for a what? This is when movies didn't have music playing when shit was happening. I look at this; it's just the sounds of the car, Steve McQueen's face. And now they'd be fucking this up with do 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 But back then they knew how to make a fucking movie. But look at that car. Look at that car. That's a 1968 Mustang. That's a 68 Charger. So anyway, this. Starts showing up in my fucking Instagram feed. Now, that's really specific. That's, how dope is that car? That's a dope car.
1: That's a fucking dope car. I saw it.
0: The scene's incredible. It goes on forever. Do
1: you think they cleared traffic for this? Uh, For sure. They just clipped that car. You saw that. Oh, I know, but I, that, my point was I was, uh, there's a movie I've seen recently, same time period. I think it's a Jack Nicholson chase scene, mm. if this makes sense, in maybe New York or Chicago. I read they didn't clear traffic. They just just filmed it. I don't think it's as dangerous as this one, probably, but they just filmed it and we're like, "Eh, For something
0: like this, this is high speeds. You can't have people walking their baby stroller across the street when Steve McQueen kills them. You
1: just pay an intern and say, hey, don't cross (laughs) the street. No, that's not going to (laughs) work.
0: That car is 100% a part of the movie. So is that car. Watch how this car reacts. These are all like stuntmen. These are all stuntmen. One hundred percent. I would assume it would be now. You see how slow that that Volkswagen's going. That dude would not be going that slow. Look at this. Help, Cobb, lost. Look mm-hmm. at this shit. All right, there's This is a wild fucking movie, son. This goes on forever. This is what they used to do in movies. If you watch like old, like a lot of Steve McQueen's movies, Le Mans, same thing. Like you, the whole beginning of the movie, no one even talks forever.
2: I'm really good at falling asleep during movies. <laughs> <laughs> you don't give a fuck about anything but training. I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm like, anytime I lay down for too long, it's like it's a risk. So right, you
0: just pass out. Yeah, yeah.
2: I can't uh, movies. I don't know. It has to be like I don't know kids movies. I usually you like kids will. movies. I, I'm like, I'll, I'll do good with like animation Frozen? things,
0: like Frozen. Yeah,
2: I'd be cool with watching that. <laughs> I could probably stay up for that, but like any real movies, I just don't have the I don't know. I don't have the attention span.
0: Well, it's also, like, the drama that people go through in some real movies. Like, think about the, the actual real drama you go through for your profession.
2: Yeah, it's exactly. Like
0: Their they're, they're, they're things are so mundane, you know?
2: Yeah, no, I—, I... I feel like I like to try to get away from that. Like, I don't know. I am a huge fight fan too. So I spend a lot of time watching fights. Do I, you? Yeah, every weekend. Last weekend, I was like, what do I do? There's no fights on. <laughs> I just feel lost if I don't have a, week, a weekend of fights. Do
0: you watch uh, only MMA or do you watch other sports? Do you watch Muay Thai or anything else?
2: I more MMA than anything else. I I don't know. Even Jiu Jitsu, I feel like I've never really gotten deep into watching. But Really? Yeah, it's more just the MMA specifically. But I think. MMA as a sport is completely different than, like, say, like, no-gi jiu-jitsu versus gi jiu-jitsu versus, mm-hmm. like, kickboxing versus wrestling. It's, like, those are all, com- like, even I feel like people look at, like, MMA jiu-jitsu versus no-gi jiu-jitsu. They're like, oh, it's the same when it's completely two different worlds.
0: Well, as soon as striking's involved and also the gloves prevent a lot of stuff. It's if, It's very interesting, the difference. If I, you know, obviously... Never fought MMA, but I've grappled with MMA gloves on. Just trying to get chokes when someone's not punching you. You can't get things under chins. It's so much harder.
2: Well, it's just how you have to work for things, too. Like, I think, like, when I go into jujitsu competitions, I get stuck in a girl's clothes guard and I'm like, how the fuck do I open a clothes guard? Like, oh, I punch you in the face. That's how I open your clothes guard. (laughs) Right. uh, Right. I can't do that right now. So it's like, Mm. I haven't drilled that shit in years where it's like, these girls are doing that every single day.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the strategy of punching in the face can't be ignored. That's that's a good way to get out of someone's clothes guard. Yeah.
2: It's like, well, it's just easy. A lot less effort. Exactly. It opens up so many opportunities, even submissions. It's like, uh, I feel like for the Rose uh, uh, grappling match, it was short notice for both of us. I think the whole card was put together on 11 days total. Oh, wow. So uh, I just had like a short camp, but me just doing straight jiu-jitsu for that short camp, I was like, it's so much harder to get submissions when you can't punch them in the face, when mm. you can't just like get them to like try to push you off or create the space when you can't do the damage.
0: That's a really good argument for learning it the way you're learning it then from the beginning, because that's a really good argument for learning MMA jiu-jitsu.
2: It's a completely different sport. I think, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I think no-gi and MMA jiu-jitsu, they're just, like, getting farther and farther away from each other as the years go. I think that no-gi is taking its own path and MMA is a completely different world where it's, like, even my choking style, I feel like, doesn't translate as well to no-gi as it works for MMA.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. But it's, it's like, the, the level— That exists now both in in jiu-jitsu and in MMA is so different than at any other time Um, I'm looking at these guys that are just now entering into the UFC and they look they look like world champions like they move like world champions It's so it's such an interesting thing to see and for you to be a part of it and To love it so much. It's got to be one of the wildest experiences a person could go through
2: oh, it's crazy like at my gym right now, we have a kid who just started training with us. He's eleven and one and twenty years old, and I'm like, like, where did you get the time to get those fights? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
2: Like my niece, she's three and just started training jujitsu. I'm like, I can only imagine like people starting MMA at this age now, where it's like you've never really seen that before.
0: And if you keep going at the pace you're going, I think you you could hit like really crazy levels. I really believe that. I, I really believe that you're 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 one of the most exceptional uh contenders that are that are coming up right now. It's really exciting to see.
2: I, I think I built a a really good foundation over the last couple of years. Like I said, I learned a lot. I got into the UFC extremely young, so I feel like it was a lot of stepping stones. But now I am in the prime of my life and I am I have the right combination with Goat Shed and Dean Thomas and I feel like I don't, I'm don't. i just in a good spot mentally and physically, and I feel like I'm ready for these opportunities that are coming my way.
0: That sounds like you prepared that one. Did you prepare that one? <laughs> no, I didn't. Not at all? No, not it at just all. Came. That's yeah. awesome. That was perfect. <laughs> Print. Cut. Make it, make it real. Put that shit on Instagram. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm excited. I'm excited for you. When you're um, watching some of these upcoming cards, what fights are interesting to you that are coming up right now?
2: Uh, the upcoming cards. Oh, um, on the Amanda Nunez card, the Benil Darush and Charles Oliveira, yeah. that fight. I'm like, I've been waiting for that forever. It got canceled. Now, we you scheduled? That's I'm like, a good one. that is the that is gonna be a matchup.
0: Benil Darush's fight with Jakar Close was one of the craziest fucking fights I've ever seen in my life. It was so nuts, it was so back and forth. Benil was almost out, like, we thought he was hurt bad. And that he finds a way to win. And his grappling is nasty.
2: He's got one of those types of grappling styles that's just ideal for MMA. Mm-hmm. He's really blended it in such a perfect way.
0: It's going to be interesting to see because Oliveira is very, very good off his back.
2: And it's like, Darush technically doesn't need to take this fight. He could probably get a title opportunity, I'm assuming, for this. You know, it's like, I feel like he takes opportunity. Like, he's just a gangster, you know? Yeah, he he's down to take it.
0: He is just a gangster. Um you know who I was thinking about earlier? I forgot to mention nasty off their back, Paul Craig.
2: Yeah, Woo! he's something different. Something yeah. different.
0: That dude's triangle was elite.
2: Okay, when, Holy shit! Uh, him and Jamal Hill. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that his arm just like flopping around there. There's nothing worse than that. It
0: was horrible. Luckily, Jamal's arm was fine. Believe it or not, it was just dislocated.
2: Uh, which is looks, cr- I thought it was broken. It looks so yeah. terrible. I've seen
0: a gang of arms get broken in my day. And that one was uh, one of the most awkward ones. <laughs> Misha, when Ronda broke Misha's arm.
2: Oh, yeah. That was a good one, too. That was a good oh. one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Yeesh. it's so funny because in a fight, I don't have a problem like doing things like that. But then watching it, I'm like, oh, that's gross.
0: The, I think the scariest ones for me are the leg breaks. When uh, yeah. Anderson broke his leg against Weidman, when Weidman broke his leg against Uriah Hall. Like Those are the scariest ones. Uh, that, that was freaked me out.
2: For Weidman to be a part of both
0: of those? I'm Crazy. like. Crazy. <laughs> what are the odds?
2: That's absolutely insane. There
0: was one that happened uh, a few years back Corey Hill, rest in peace. And then there was Anderson. And then after Anderson, who else? Chris Weidman, Connor, no one else? Is that it? I think that's it. That's it, and one of the worst ones is Tyrone Spong. You ever, you ever seen yeah. that one? Oh my gosh, oh. that was
2: disgusting. Just oh, that's a hard one. It's something different with the in kickboxing too. I feel mm-hmm. like the, the kicks are just thrown with more intention. Oh my and god, the way he stepped back on that is just something. Ugh.
0: And that was essentially <laughs> the end of his kickboxing career. I mean, he's boxing now. That's a dangerous man.
2: Oh yeah, he's no.
0: a dangerous dude.
2: He's a big dude.
0: <laughs> yeah, that one fight where he got dropped early in the round. And the dude's swarming on him, and he measures him, measures him, measures him. bam! Woo! See so if you can find that. Tyrone Spong crazy first-round knockout because it's, it's nuts. This dude comes after him, big, tall dude, hits him with a big shot and drops him. And then the way he responds and the way he, he cracked that dude, just how staying calm under fire, looking for a shot, extending his left hand, then drops the right on him.
2: Just like a sniper. Some people, it's like, I don't know. Here it is. Just the way some people's Michael minds.
0: Michael Dute. Yeah, some people's minds are just.
2: I feel like they can just see shit. That it's, I don't know. They see something different. Look at that. Ooh. Boom.
0: Perfect one, two. Drops him. I mean, on the chin. Perfect one, two. He gets up. Okay. Stays calm. This dude's just swinging now. Now he's just wild and reckless. Measures. Bam. Woo. And that's the fight. This dude gets up and is like, what the fuck? Fuck this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it took yeah. him a second.
0: <laughs> He's like, this is not, I'm not good.
2: It's crazy the way people's bodies react to like being knocked out mm-hmm. sometimes. It's like, I think it was uh, Edson and his, Shane Burgos. Yeah, Shane Burgos. I'm like, it took him like five seconds before he really felt it.
0: Yeah, that was one of the weirdest ones I've ever seen ever. Just something happened, and and he's backing up, and as he's backing up, he's losing consciousness. It
2: was like he was good, and then it just—he wasn't good anymore.
0: Shane Burgos is such a tough man.
2: Oh, yeah, he's a dog.
0: Oh, he's a dog. He's a dog, always. So here he gets cracked with a good shot here. Then he gets cracked with another good shot here. Edson with those horrific leg kicks. So I don't know where the— is this it coming, coming up soon? Yeah, it's just the whole thing. Oh, it's the whole. They put the whole fight in there. So obviously, Edson is catching him with a lot of stuff. And as tough as Shane is, he's probably been hurt on multiple occasions in this in these exchanges. Oh. Right there, that's it. So it was a one-two. It was the one-two right there. Right there, one-two, boom, boom, and then it just the lights go out. Crazy.
2: I've never seen something like that. That was
0: weird. Yeah. But it was a hard punch that, and multiple punches before that. Edson oh. Barbosa is a guy who doesn't get enough credit. That guy has the fastest switch kick I've ever seen in my life. His switch kick is bananas.
2: His last knee against uh, Billy Quarantino mm-hmm. and then his knee against Benil Darouche. Both mm. of them were fucking Insane. vicious.
0: Insane. Yeah. I wonder how much of a struggle it is for him to get to 45.
2: Uh, I was on the last card with him, and it looked like it was a struggle. He was so shredded. He was, uh, like, we were sitting there an hour before weigh-ins, and everybody was just sitting in their chairs, and he was laying on the floor in the back, just looked like he was struggling. But the next day, he went out there and performed 100%, apparently. Like, he got that knockout, got that fight of the night bonus. So I'm like, I don't know how people do that. I don't, I
0: don't know how they do it either. I don't
2: get how you can make such a huge cut and just feel good on fight night.
0: <laughs> Crazy. It's crazy because it's the amount of damage that does to your body. It's not zero. So like how much damage are you doing 24 hours before a cage fight just for that advantage?
2: And it's like, how much of a size advantage is it? Maybe 5, 10 pounds? It's like, how much of an advantage does that give someone if they are technically better than you? I
0: think, the advantage, I think there is advantages. There has to be. Otherwise, people wouldn't keep doing it. I think that it's also – you also feel like if you get someone who does a lot of it and then they get a hold of you, you're like, oh, my God, I'm too small for this weight class. You know, If you're one of those guys – like Frankie Edgar is an animal. Frankie Edgar weighed 155 and won the 155-pound world title. And he beat BJ Penn to do it. Frankie Edgar was beating everybody, and they were way bigger than him. He just did it with skill and heart. And and also he was so durable because he didn't cut weight. It's one of the things like some of these guys that cut a lot of weight – there seems to be – there's it seems like the guys who cut the most weight have harder times after a while taking shots. It seems to have an effect. It's hard to tell whether it's just the overall cumulative effect of their career or if it's the weight cut. But there was a lot of um, questions about Pajeda A lot of people brought that up, like whether or not the weight cut makes him more susceptible to getting knocked out. But we know, it's not zero, right? It's not a zero effect. It has an effect. But it's also – to be this bigger person, and to be able to, es- especially in the early part of the fight, if you can get a hold of someone,
1: one seventy when he walked into the cage. Says,
0: oh my God, that's he crazy! Says that, really, that's crazy. That's twenty five pounds. That's crazy. That's so much weight.
2: Oh yeah, no, I don't understand. Think about
0: twenty five pounds of water on this table. Exactly. He removed that from his body and then put it back in. What? Without an IV.
2: No, it's it's absolutely insane to see. And after that, being able to perform.
0: I think that's the thing is that so many guys are doing it. When you see a guy who's as big as Edson at 145 or as big as Billy at one, I don't know what Billy cuts. if he, But there's some guys in some weight classes that are just like, how are you? Like, how is Marvin Vittori 185 pounds? That guy's giant. He's huge. Oh, yeah. But he gets down to 185
2: my well, all my fights besides my last one have been at 125 in the ufc and then my last one was at 115 so just the difference between the 25ers and the 15ers is extremely different i feel like so, like that uh girl we watched earlier maria pova she uh i remember i trained with her at att and she would come into camp around like 150 155 and cut down to 125 Jeez. where i was coming into camp at 130 and cutting down to 125. So, uh yeah, it's just I don't know. I, I I don't know how the girls do it, but I'm like there is a huge difference between like the 15ers and the 25ers just size-wise.
0: Nobody does it crazier than Patty. Yeah. Patty's I, out of his fucking mind cuz he does it in front of everybody. I
2: feel like he tries to though.
0: <laughs> oh, he does try to. Yeah. I think it's part of his persona now, but it's also fun. The dude gets fat in front of the world and then gets shredded again. He disappears and then gets shredded again. And then he gets fat again.
2: Yeah, even that I don't get. I'm like, by the amount I, I train, Look I at don't get. <laughs> that that. It's so crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look at the difference between the lower left-hand corner, the upper middle. When he's re- down to fight, he's a fucking character. That kid's a star. You know, if he gets matched correctly, and that's the thing. Like, if it was any other sport, you'd get matched If it was boxing, you'd have a manager. That manager would go, "Okay, Patty, you got a lot of fans, but we gotta set you up with the right opponents. We gotta make sure that we test you in all these areas and build up all the holes in your game. And you know, like boxers like to get to the title undefeated. They like to get to that title fight, sixteen and zero. The challenger. That's what everybody loves in boxing."
2: I feel like it's getting more and more like that in MMA too. Mm. I, I have more respect for fighters who is like, you can see that they've taken tough matchups versus the fighters who is like, they fought nobody, but they have an undefeated record.
0: What do you think about a fighter that gets an opportunity to take a fight they know they probably shouldn't take? And they take it early in their career against someone who's far more experienced and it can be very dangerous. But sometimes an opportunity presents itself and they say, hey, do you want to fight in the UFC? we got to fight against this guy, you know, top whatever contender. And people have done that before. First fight in the UFC, you're fighting a contender, which is really wild. But it happens all the time.
2: I've never taken opportunities like that big like fighting contenders in the UFC but I feel like it is important to take every opportunity that comes your way because it's like it's more eyes on you it's you have an opportunity to show what your abilities are too even if you are like the b side of the matchup necessarily but uh every opportunity I've taken win or loss I feel like it's helped lead me to the point that I'm at today and it's also built the foundation that uh, like you need losses you need to learn and you need uh that to fall back on
0: even if you know, like you're seriously o- overmatched, take it anyway. Uh,
2: I, I don't know. It's a for me. It's like I've never said no to a fight. Wow. I, I think that's a tough situation. Uh, I've definitely went into fights where I know I was seriously undermatched. Like uh, when I fought on the Tough House. Like I said, I was three and two. I was 22 years old, and I fought Barb Ponchak, who was. 10-2, and two, the Invicta champ, she was like pinned to win it. And it was, that was my first fight in the house. And I ended up losing second round TKO. But it's still, I had my moments in the fight. I almost finished an arm bar at one point, And it's like I still had that opportunity, obviously got my face in front of Dana, I got uh, to be on the tough house. Like it was still uh, an opportunity that opened doors for me in the, in the long run.
0: You also escaped that straight arm lock. When she had was, your, your arm extended oh yeah, and you got out, I was but, like super impressed that you got out of that. I was like, Jesus Christ. I hated the angle. When I was looking, I was like, Jesus. It was one of those, there was a moment where you, she was yanking on it where I was like, yikes.
2: Literally, uh, I thought during that moment, because everybody knew me as like the jujitsu girl in the house. So I'm like, oh, I cannot let her sub me. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to let her get this shit.
0: <laughs> How close was it?
2: Uh, it? It was definitely hurting, but it's like, I feel like it... That that little bit of frustration gave me that little bit of like push, that little mm. drive.
0: That's funny. Well, you got out of it, but that that was a very tough matchup for you. Yeah, that's that's the thing about you know the the progression of uh, of MMA. You you get these tough matchups, you learn, and it's fascinating for me as someone who gets to see fights over and over again, see fighters progress through their career. You get to see these people that have put these things together, and you see the the the, the learning growth. The curve, and you see like where they are where they're at now.
2: Uh, and it's like ever since I was, oh, even in my amateur fights, I had a lot of tough girls. But like all my pro fights, I've had one. Or, no, two fights where the girls haven't made it to the UFC at this point. Wow. So it's like I fought all UFC level competition. Uh, my last amateur fight was actually against Cheyenne Blismas on uh, Rise of Warrior, my little hometown show. So it's like another UFC girl fighting when I was an amateur. So it's like I've always had the highest level of competition.
0: That's very fortunate. Oh, but also, yeah. Miami's a hot spot for MMA, right?
2: Uh, Florida in general, I feel like is a hot spot. It's just. I don't. I don't get how people train in the cold. So I get why.
0: <laughs> the only thing you have to worry about is hurricanes. Exactly. And alligators.
2: They're not that bad. They're everywhere. Though. They're everywhere, but they leave you alone. Yeah,
0: <laughs> until they don't.
2: Until they don't.
0: Can't just be comfortable to have monsters walking around your yard. That's crazy.
2: I remember when I went to the Tough House. It's like that's the first time I was really. I don't know. Around a lot of girls from. They were all around the world. And they're asking me about alligators they're like like, "What do you do about them?" I'm like, "What do you mean? What do we do about them? Like they're just there. We just kind of ignore them. they're like, I feel like everybody expects them to be like chasing after you or something like that. They have this weird stigma around them.
0: well, every now and again they do get someone
2: every now and again, but like
0: you we' she's don't... so comfortable with living around monsters that every now and again eat a people." <laughs> <laughs>
2: We have gators, sharks, snakes. Yeah, like everything's well, trying to kill you in if Florida. But if you don't go in
0: the water, you don't have to worry about the sharks. And, well, the snakes. they got a real problem in the, in the Everglades. Yeah, that's nuts.
2: Yeah, and it's, the Everglades, those like 14 foot pythons. like they're, they're fucking huge.
0: They just find them. They just go They don't even have to look that hard. they look like, out. Oh, there's one.
2: I saw a video of one eating an alligator. Yeah. I'm like, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, we played it a bunch of times. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of dead ones they found with alligators like poking out of the side of their body. Yeah, they've run out of things to eat.
2: Uh, it's just insane, though, like to be able to swallow something literally bigger than you.
0: Yeah. Literally. Literally bigger than you. Well, they've eaten everything. There is an estimation that ninety nine percent of all the deer,s rabbits, raccoon, everything in the Everglades is is gone. Oh wow! Ninety nine percent. Yeah, all from the snakes.
2: Oh, that's crazy. There's like
0: nothing left. It's just monster soup.
2: It's just monsters? It's just
0: it's just snakes and alligators. That's all it's left. And some poor fuck. Imagine if you're some dipshit who doesn't know what you're doing. You want to go hiking in there? There's a half a million pythons. A half a million.
2: Oh wow. In I'm Florida. Like, I'm like, you're opening my eyes to this Yeah.
0: There's like, a half a million pythons estimated in Florida.
2: I I've always seen things on the like news and stuff about that. Obviously you see like the Florida man things like catches a python. I'm like, I didn't know there's that many though. I
0: think you guys are way too comfortable. <laughs> I <laughs> think you're way too comfortable. I don't think you realize what's like right. There's this, there's a wooded area that you go into. It's filled with monsters, and those monsters have eaten every mammal.
2: And it's like, I, with me, I think like crocodiles, alligators are so <laughs> cool. It's like they've eaten every animal and they've been around for thousands of years. So millions. It's like Millions of years, yeah. yeah. So it's like they survive everything and can kill anything.
0: They're cool as fuck. They are cool.
2: Yeah, I think allig- alligators and crocodiles around. are really cool to me. I'm really fascinated by them.
0: Crocodiles are very different, though. Crocodiles are like a wolf, whereas alligators are more like a dog.
2: In Florida, uh, though, like the crocodiles aren't as aggressive usually. Well, th-
0: are they as big? I, we don't oh, have a lot of crocodiles. This? Is this a crocodile with a person inside of it?
2: It's a snake.
1: A python with a five-foot alligator inside its stomach. Oh, Jesus.
0: Eat it whole whoa Someone oh my god <laughs> no, look that. at that that's insane that is fucking insane it's an 18 foot oh.
1: maybe
0: oh my 20 gosh. foot python 20 foot python with a giant ass alligator inside of it and where was this where'd they find this one huh. florida this it's was 15. in florida
1: that's where I have ever got to National Park.
0: Wait a minute. I thought the biggest python they ever found in Florida was like, uh, I thought it was less than 20 feet.
1: Well, this is 18. This is roughly 18. Oh, okay. Oh.
0: A five-foot alligator inside point. of it. You know what I'm saying that is? So it literally is monster soup. It's monster soup. There's nothing left. There's no raccoons. They're all fucked. Imagine being a raccoon trying to get laid. You're out there. <laughs> Anybody? There's no one there. No one lives there anymore. There's no deer. Good luck finding a deer. They all got jacked by monsters.
2: It's all the monsters and the, all the people too. There's too many buildings now. I feel like Miami. I feel like there's no. I don't know. There's no wildlife.
0: Maybe you should encourage people to go hiking.
2: In you Miami, go to the Everglades. Yeah, yeah,
0: go to the Everglades. Go for a hike.
2: <laughs> Solve both the problems. That would be a real,
0: real reality <laughs> show. Here's a real reality show. Take some clout-seeking dipshit and and let them camp out for the longest in the Everglades. Don't say, no, don't, don't, t- don't do this. Don't someone's t- going to take this idea and someone's going to die.
2: Yeah, hey, you got to put the disclaimer on it.
0: <laughs> one of my favorite stories about Florida was this guy was in a, involved in a car chase with the cops and uh, he parks on a bridge, jumps out of the car, lands on a gator and gets killed in front of the cops.
2: Like That's, that's one of those ones where I'm like, can we get that fact checked? How does that happen? Like-
0: <laughs> Just an asshole and karma that- come get you. Karma came Um, and got him.
2: Land on an alligator. It's it's
0: like a movie. There's there's this... Sometimes scenes happen in real life that seem like a movie. Florida man runs from police directly into an alligator's mouth. (laughs) When Brian Zuniga fled a traffic stop in... Well, you fucking pop-ups. When Brian uh, Zuniga fled a traffic stop in Tampa yesterday, he had the right idea. Sprint away from the cops, jump a fence, hide behind a water treatment plant. But Zuniga wasn't counting on... Ju- a justice-loving reptile. He's back in custody this morning with nasty scars on his face. Oh, this is a different one. I think, uh, yeah, this is a different one. This um, is another sorry. one. <laughs> Many of these time. dipshits have uh, <laughs> fucking so landed on alligators. Yeah, <laughs> one guy died. This, this dude jumped off a bridge, this though.
1: Got his arm bitten off. Yeah, that's Gator Man. This that guy wandered Atlanta. around for,
0: like, days with one arm. He's like, man, I do not know what it was.
1: Oh, this one just happened recently.
0: It's a wild I mean, ass place. Who would have thought fall? that Florida would be like the battleground for freedom in America? Like who would have ever thought that Florida would be the place where, where all the people are like, we need freedom. Florida was the spot.
2: Yeah, it, no, especially I feel like during like COVID and stuff like that, it, yeah. it's like, I think that's what's drawn all the people to us. Mm-hmm. That's what, it, it was like since COVID, everybody, like you said, like with the freedom and everybody's just kind of rushed their way there.
0: It's so funny that he got so much, DeSantis got so much criticism from that. But at the end of the day, he was right. And no one wants to admit it. He said, protect your elderly, treat your elderly, everybody else, you should be able to go back to life. And he was right. And everybody's like,
2: you're killing everyone. He was right. Yeah, I think we never really ha- like, gyms might have shut down for like a week, but we th- were still open. You know, Thank God. but like there was nothing that really like shut down for a long time in Florida. Jiu-jitsu
0: too. gyms in LA got hit hard.
2: Oh yeah, no, they I, got hit hard. I heard a lot about New York, how terrible it was. Horrible. Yeah. Well, the
0: Donaher desk squad—they all went to Puerto Rico so they could train. Mm-hmm. Imagine that—you li- literally going to an island in the middle of the fucking ocean so you could train.
2: Yeah, That's no, so crazy. Yeah, it was. I not like. I worked with Dean a lot during that time, so it's like we would constantly just wherever we can find mat space. we, we don't even need mats. I'm like Dean would drill on carpet with me if it's That's awesome. if we got it. So I'm like it, wherever it was, we made it work and we made it happen during that time. But it's like there was a lot of opportunities and there wasn't a lot of places closing either.
0: Well, the places in LA, they, you know, people had to meet privately in different spots. They had to try to keep their game going. And then, you know, just hope someone wasn't sick. And everybody had so much anxiety. But I didn't hear of anybody really getting fucked up by it in the jiu-jitsu community.
2: No. And then it's like, like I fought in Abu Dhabi during that time. So it's like mm. flying over there, it's like you have to. Covid tests, I think, ten times before you touch the island. Like yeah. it's just crazy, all the things that you have to go, that we had to go through during that time period. It's like it feels like it was a different world then.
0: I know, and it's amazing that the UFC pulled it off. It was brilliant they everybody was telling them what are you doing you're going to have fights on during a pandemic you're going to kill people you're risking people's lives and they're like look we're going to do it with no crowd we're going to test everybody not not good enough people still didn't want it don't stay home as if somehow another a respiratory virus is going to like dissipate because everybody stayed home like stop you're talking nonsense doesn't work that way so they did it and it all took off and then nba started doing it with no audience And then they started creeping audiences back in and, like, the Apex Center. And I remember the first time we did it in an audience, again, it was – I think it was Jacksonville. It was crazy because, like, Florida was one of the only places where you could do it. And it was a full-packed arena. And I was like, this is the super spreader event of all time. (laughs) This (laughs) is the middle of everything. And everything was fine.
2: Yeah, I feel like the audiences have come back stronger since COVID, too. It's just It used to be, like, first couple fights, there'd be nobody in the audience during the prelims. And now it's, like, the first two fights, there's already fans there. Everybody's just, like, ready to get in their seats.
0: I love that. When I get there and we're there for, like, 4 p.m. fights and it's already packed, Though that's exciting. But I get it. It's six hours is a lot of fights.
2: Oh, yeah. No. It's definitely a lot of fights. But it's a, as the fighter, it's, like, it's nice to have that crowd there. It's nice to have oh, that yeah. energy there. And, like, I— like probably one of my uh, me being Canadian fighting in Edmonton was probably like my one of my most memorable fights just because of that the energy in the crowd just because of how many people were screaming and it's like I'm not walking out in Liverpool and getting booed you right.
0: know <laughs> right did that feel like it had added pressure on you
2: it didn't add pressure it just makes me uh, I I love it more than anything else it's like the fights at the apex almost like don't have the same feel to me they don't have the same like vibe around them like even like the what, even the wins, I'm like, it's just like you're celebrating by yourself. <laughs> to have the crowd there and just that energy in the room, it just makes everything different when you walk in the cage.
0: I, I totally get it, but as a fan, watching the Apex is really special. There's something about being able to watch fights with no crowd and the fights are being broadcast on television I mean, I, always, I was thinking at every one of them, like, wow, I'm so lucky that I can be here and do this. Because just to be in this moment, there's only 100 people here. This is in the middle of these crazy, weird times, but I'm getting to experience Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje this wild, crazy fight with no audience. And it was a fucking war, a crazy fight with no audience.
2: It's so weird. It feels like it's almost like too chill of a scenario when you're in there. It's like, okay, I'm in a fist fight, but it's just like, because it's so quiet. It's just so relaxed. It's weird.
0: It is it's, it's very different to experience as a fan. I couldn't imagine the difference in, like, when you do something and there's no cheering. You know, maybe you hear your coaches and that's it. But you also can hear, like, specific instruction very clearly.
2: Okay, and you can hear her coaches very specifically mm. then, too. So it's like that definitely plays into it. And it's like – or – I I always like whenever just watching as a fan, like you can hear the shit talk between the fighters, you know, on the mic. So like it it just definitely adds a different aspect.
0: Well, um, that's why Mark Henry's got such a fascinating way of doing it, where he comes up with nicknames for every move and they're different for every camp. Yeah. Which is crazy.
2: Yeah. I feel like trying to remember that would be hard.
0: <laughs> With- Rashad said he was blown away. He's like, this guy's, he writes out all these different names. Like, this would be the name of your friend. This would be the name of your daughter. This is the street you grew up on. Like, what?
2: Yeah, I'm not m- remembering all that. <laughs> With uh, Dean, I feel like he relies on my decision making ability a lot. And he relies on the fact that we're prepared, that we spend 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, preparing for this moment. So it's like I should be ready for every opportunity or every obstacle she throws at me. Mm. So uh, you will hear him in the corner, but not often. I feel like he only talks when he feels necessary. So it's like there's, like he trusts me to make my own decisions majority of the fight.
0: That's awesome.
2: I feel like also that's what's helped me build great decision-making. And I feel like at a championship mm. level, decision-making is what makes one of the biggest differences.
0: Mm. That's a very good point. That's interesting. That's the thinking about it, like, as the over, for the overall health of the pupil. Yeah, because as you're going through the challenges, they're going to get more difficult, and you're going to have to kind of sort it out on your own, and then whatever mistakes are made, you correct in the gym.
2: And it's like, for me, at the end of the day, it's like I'm walking in the cage by myself. You know, yeah. I need to be ready for that moment. I need to be ready to answer everything, and, like... I think it was my second or third UFC fight. I, literally, I had just one girl in my corner and she was an amateur fighter just because it's like I just needed someone to warm me up. It's like we have those 12 weeks of preparation and I'm ready no matter what walking in there. So it doesn't really like matter like who's in the corner.
0: What does a camp look like for you? Is it, is it laid out in advance and does it include st- – do you have strength and conditioning sessions that you do separate to your MMA training?
2: I actually don't do strength and conditioning at all. You just
0: do MMA training. Yeah, I just wow. do MMA. Is that unusual?
2: I think it is. I think a lot of people think I'm weird because I don't do it. Uh, I think that it's more beneficial. Like, you only have so many hours in the day, and there's so many sports. There's jujitsu, wrestling, striking. And it's like there's so much to learn. So it's like I can only invest so much time into each of them. So mm. I, I choose to invest my time into technical abilities. And – uh For my cardio more, I get it in rounds. So Mm. it's like I do jujitsu rounds or strike or like MMA rounds. I do MMA rounds three times a week. So it's like I'm constantly getting that cardio work, getting that push. And I feel like there's nothing that can really match that MMA pace, that MMA cardio. So it's like you can do striking for six months then come to jiu-jitsu and have shitty jiu-jitsu cardio so it's like I mm-hmm. think you have to be doing MMA to get MMA cardio I don't think running or anything like that necessarily supplements it
0: do you guys do things like uh, switch out opponents and live drills and things like that to like ramp up your heart rate and simulate moments inside fights
2: uh, things like that or like uh, we set, say it depends on who my opponent is in the cage like if I'm going with the boys or with the girls uh, if I'm going with the boys it's like they can push the pace for me no matter what just them they're stronger faster typically and uh so and we have a good group of 125 pound boys who can really push the pace for me technically and then with the girls we usually set like goals for me so it'll be like just try to score as many submissions as you can this round or we're trying to score five takedowns around so just make sure you push the pace to make sure that i I want to be ready to shoot 10 takedowns around every fight that i go into mm. just so I'm confident in that, and it's not like a necessity of me. Like I need to get it to the ground this time. I can shoot ten more times. We'll just come up with strikes. So we'll figure out the when the opportunity is right.
0: I like that strategy because you're doing you're essentially doing strength and conditioning through skill drills.
2: Exactly. Yeah, all my uh, strength and conditioning is just getting rounds and doing sparring. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, there's nothing that makes you stronger than wrestling, right? And if you if you're doing that kind of thing like trying to get as many takedowns as possible in 20 I mean that's That is a form of strength and conditioning, for sure. Absolutely.
2: (laughs) It's a different type of... We uh, usually, once a week, we'll do uh, big gloves, so boxing gloves and takedowns. And we just do king of the hill. And those there's two 10-minute rounds, and those two 10-minute rounds will kill you every time, just trying to take someone down. and Because we have big gloves on, we're hitting hard and then getting takedowns. And it's like, those rounds, I don't feel like there's anything that pushes my cardio like that.
0: That's interesting. How much harder is it to take someone down with big gloves?
2: Uh, it definitely adds yeah, a different element, you know. Especially like uh, I said, these rounds we specifically like know we're going for the takedown, so it's hard, hard rounds.
0: Yeah, is like when you're talking big, you're talking like sixteen, eighteen. How, how big are the gloves? Uh,
2: yeah, like fourteen, sixteen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just, Just boxing big gloves, box yeah. Gloves. Versus using like MMA sparring gloves, like six ounce. Or...
0: What are your thoughts on uh, hard sparring versus technical sparring?
2: Uh, I think you need a little bit of both. I think you definitely need to learn how to bring that dog out in the fight when you need to. So you need those hard sparring rounds. Uh, you need those rounds that uh, to make you confident in walking forward and confident in pushing the pace. But it's also technical sparring rounds. Is You need 100 times more of those. You can do as many of those as you want because you're not taking the damage. But that's what's going to build your reaction time, uh, what's going to make you think more. A lot of times if you get too much hard sparring then you get a little bit like punch shy you don't want to you're not going to build the right reactions so if you get uh more technical sparring you're building more right reactions and you're building uh just i I don't know i feel like you need both
0: Mm. i think you're probably right and i think um most people would probably agree with you but for uh longevity the one concern is, like, how much hard sparring you do in training and how much that takes out of your longevity, how much that takes out of your overall career. Like, uh, Max Holloway is not sparring at all anymore, which I found really fascinating. And his, his reasoning is you take unnecessary damage in sparring, and I know how to fight, and I'll just do drills and work on my conditioning and, and do it through drills, and, and he's been very successful doing it.
2: Someone like him, it might be a little bit of a different circumstance where he just has that dog in him. You know, you don't need any. He doesn't need the hard sparring to bring that out of him at all or to like, right. like make him feel comfortable there. Like that's just Max has that in him. He's
0: also had so many high level fights that like the timing and the it's all in his head. He understands what happens. He's been there with Volkanovsky, you know, over yeah. and over again. He's been in there with Conor McGregor in the early days. You know, he's he's a he's a fucking animal. You know, Max Holloway is an animal. He's really good.
2: Max is yeah, I feel like he's like the people's champ. He's such a good guy, <laughs> yeah. too.
0: He's like the nicest guy ever. He's so fr- he's so friendly and and fun, but man, when he turns it on inside the cage, holy shit. He's got extra gears. That guy's got extra gears. Like he's he's another one that's a fantastic example of dedication and hard work and the results. Because like and he'll tell you, he's like I'm not like the most athletic guy, not, There's nothing. It's just he worked harder than everybody he's more intense than everybody and then when you saw him in his prime man he was a monster he just would put it on people and put a pace on people they just couldn't keep up with
2: i feel like that's so much about what it is is just showing up it's Mm -hmm. just being there willing to do the work willing to be coachable and it's like you have to show up like i feel like so many people think it's just i don't know people fall in love with the stardom and the starlight of the sport and they don't realize Mm. that it's just like It's the showing up every day and grinding and getting the work in that's really gonna produce results
0: Yeah, it is. It's a long process It's a long 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 process But it's got to be exciting to be in the spot of the process that you're at knowing how you were in the beginning when You just started taking kickboxing classes to look at you now. I mean
2: Oh yeah, it's. A, I feel like it's been a short process in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it's been twelve years since I started training, and six years of that has been in the UFC. So, Which is really fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, um, like it's. Uh, I I feel like it's just gone by so fast. Really, it's just, uh, it's it's crazy to work with people and like I don't. know work with people who it's like their first day and you're trying to teach them like all right move your hip over here (laughs) and they can't like
0: figure it out yeah they just
2: can't comprehend it and you're like was i ever like that
0: (laughs) do you remember what you were like when you first started did it come to you easily did you uh,
2: it it definitely came to me more easily i don't remember like me ever being like i don't know super super awkward yeah super terrible but i know i was uh uh, i know it definitely came easy and i was good at jujitsu from the time that i started
0: did you do any sports before that
2: I did nothing. Nothing. I uh, did gymnastics when I was probably like five or six for a year. And my parents put me in soccer multiple times because they played soccer. My brother played soccer. My dad coached soccer. So it was like they tried a couple times and I quit a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, it was just they were like, you need to get some type of uh, like, hobby, some type of activity. And that's when I started volunteering with animals.
0: Oh. Did they was it totally out of left field when you became a fighter for them?
2: Oh yeah, completely out of left was field. Like, what the hell, girl? <laughs> uh, everybody expected me to be a vet. Like that was just oh. like the trajectory I was on. And I don't like literally my parents growing up would tell me that like if somebody's uh, like trying to start problems with you, just walk away, you know? Like don't start any like fights or anything like that. they they are like complete pacifists on that side and I couldn't tell you the difference between like the WWE and the UFC when I started. Really? Like I had no idea what Brazilian Jiu Jitsu was. Nothing. I had no idea. So it's like it was just. I really don't know where I got the thought where I wanted to do it.
0: <laughs> you just well, were, was there a lot of high level people that were around you at the time? Because you walked in Dean's gym. Uh
2: yeah well it's I. I guess uh, before that, uh, like to walk into there, I don't really know what was my motive. Uh, But in the gym, he had a couple of, uh, I guess, the pro guys who were doing all right. Uh, Nobody too high level, but it was just, I I don't know. I fell in love with the just the environment of it all. I I just loved the uh, the grind of it all. I just remember when I was in the cardio kickboxing class with like a bunch of like soccer moms, pretty much. And uh, after the first day. I didn't expect it to be that much of a workout for some reason. <laughs> so I was like beat red right in the face. And one of the moms, she was like, just make sure you keep coming back. And like, I just remember like always thinking about that. Cause I don't know if it, like, I probably would have kept coming back, but it definitely was like, I didn't want to on the first day. I was like, this shit's hard.
0: <laughs> Do you think that lady saying that to you made you come back?
2: I think it might've like influenced something. Cause I was like, "Wow!" I, I was like, all right, now I have, like, I have to, like, she's expecting me to be there, you know?
0: Isn't that crazy? How just one weird moment, one weird interaction where someone could say something to you to change the course of your whole life.
2: Oh, yeah. I, even, I feel like it's so weird that it's, like, something, like, that I walked into Dean's gym.
0: Yeah. Like, what are the odds? Th-
2: the chances that that happened is, like, he's still my coach 12 years later. Like, that's just, yeah. like, I feel like you can't walk into a better spot, really. You
0: can't. You just got lucky. I mean, but is that what it is, or is it destiny? I mean, it's a great story. If I wanted to tell a story about an MMA fighter who did nothing until she was 16, (laughs) takes cardio kickboxing, and then some little old lady says, you keep coming back. And she's like, ah, okay, I said hi to the old lady. Now I got to keep coming back. She's going to be mad at me.
2: I feel like everything – I don't know. Everything in my career kind of did just, like, line up like that. It was like whenever Ronda got into the UFC, I was just getting into my amateur career. And then whenever I stopped being able to make 115, they opened up the 125-pound division. And it was like – so you had to have three – well – you had to have at least three fights and a winning record to get into the tough house. And Mm. I had, I was two and two and I was like searching for a fight, searching for a fight. Couldn't find anything. Then the week before the tough house tryouts, I got a fight and I fought the Saturday before then tried out for the tough house the next weekend. Wow. So I'm like, I feel like everything's just kind of lined up perfectly. Just, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Do you ever wonder whether or not there's like a divine plan?
2: Uh, I definitely think that I was made for this. Like, I feel like I was made for this spot, made for this sport, and uh, I feel like there is a reason that everything lined up. What do you think that reason is? Uh, I I don't know yet. I guess uh, I I definitely uh, I don't know. I think I'm uh, capable of something that a lot of people aren't capable of, and how I can tr- I guess show this sport, how I can translate this sport.
0: Hmm. You're you're definitely a unique person and a very thoughtful person and a person that if someone talked to you and they did not know that you are a professional cage fighter of the highest level they would never imagine it. You seem so like friendly and normal. And then if if I show like there should be a show where people get to meet you and then guess what you do. <laughs> they don't they don't guess what you do. They just talk to you. They can't ask you what you do. They just talk to you about life. They they can't ask you questions about martial arts. They can't ask you questions about, about anything for an occupation. Just so, oh, how do you, you know, uh, how do you feel about climate change? You know, like whatever, just talk to you about shit. And go, what do you think she does? Zero people would say cage fighter. Zero.
2: I, I feel like it's almost like two completely different people, like Jillian and the Savage. I'm like, when I'm in the cage, I'm like, it's a completely like, after uh, is actually the Maria pova fight. I. Um, sit down on the floor and I throw up two middle fingers and post fight one of the UFC guys he was like "Uh, so you throw up the two middle fingers like what was all that about I was like I did that like I completely like blacked out didn't remember I did that at all wow I'm like it's a completely different person there I don't take any accountability for that
0: (laughs) (laughs) do do you um, have like a switch where that person comes in or is that only when the fight starts
2: I want to say it's whenever like my walkout song starts that I start because mm. there's definitely like the pre-fight nerves. I feel like everybody has them and uh, I go through them all day in the locker room. And then as soon as like I'm making the walk, I don't have nerves anymore. Like I'm just ready to go, ready to walk out there. And it's like, I don't know, it, like even in uh, that fight, I was sitting there and I'm choking that girl and I'm just looking at the ref like, oh, she's out trying to tell him calmly. I'm like, it's just something I don't know, something weird, something different that happens whenever that I'm in the cage.
0: Do you feel like you get, like, a tunnel vision? Do you feel like, or do you feel, like, legitimately like you're a different person?
2: Uh, it's probably more of just, like, a tunnel vision. Uh, I, after the fight, I think I'm a different person. Sometimes <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sitting there screaming and shit, and I'm like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's really just a tunnel vision. I remember my last fight just looking around the other arena and seeing it's just like a full arena so many people and then as soon as he's like "Fighter, are you ready all the lights turn off in the arena and it's like it's just you and her then and mm. it's like i don't know it's just such a focused moment it's such a surreal moment in there
0: what is it like hearing the cheers
2: uh i feel like you got to kind of block them out till after the fight because yeah. even it's like during the fight it's like if somebody's cheering you on, it's like, all right, now I feel like I got to do something. Mm. Or you feel like they're cheering the other person on you. And like, Do you guys hear you,
0: boos? Like if it's in the clinch and someone boos. Uh, oh,
2: yeah. Everybody's screaming that the, the yeah. Ric Flair woo yeah. the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like the second you get a takedown. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting on top of this girl for four seconds and you yeah. guys are already screaming. <laughs> like, Come on.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. The, but that's the problem with casuals. They, they don't. Understand how hard it is to get there, what the consequences are. Maybe they don't even know you. You know, they don't. They don't get the consequences.
2: I feel like grappling also isn't like a casual favorite sport. <laughs> they right. they want to see you stand and bang. So it's like me being a submission artist. Uh, it's I I feel like I haven't really gotten a lot of that attention, I guess. Or they don't really. I don't. I I don't have a lot of fans in that department.
0: <laughs> yeah, but if they watch that meatball Molly finish, Jesus Christ! I mean, that is dramatic. When she comes to and she's kicking, you've seen it, obviously, when she wakes back up. and she, That is always weird to me, when someone comes back. It's like, where were you? Where'd you go? Where'd your brain go?
2: I've Oof. had it once in a grappling competition where I didn't go completely out, but like I tapped and the ref called it a couple of seconds later and like I couldn't sit up all the way and I just kind of fell back, but I was still there. But I just remember like, I instantly felt like I was was scared. I peed myself at first. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I felt like I was sitting in like a cold puddle Uh, and I woke up and I was like, no, I'm good. I'm like, I just went out a little bit, but I'm good. (laughs) But I don't know. It's such a weird scenario. It's a, a, don't know. Weird feeling.
0: mm. I went out on a uh, fighter jet once. I, I blacked out. We were, we were, I, we went seven and a half Gs on this one thing, and um, it's it was uh, with the Blue Angels. And you have to hold on to this. You're, you're holding on to the the whatever it is. The yoke is that what it is? What do they call those things? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm all, you're you're the, the fighter pilot will hold on to this thing, and they have to do this thing called hooking, where they go like this. <laughs> Well, you're literally pumping blood into your brain to try to stay consciousness because the pressure of the G-force, you see black on both sides like an elevator door. Like it's closing your consciousness. It's literally like a visual She's thing. Oh, yeah. Tito. It's Tito T's <laughs> went out. Oh, my God. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many Gs did they hit them with?
1: I'm not 100% sure. I just saw this going around and it looked nuts. Yeah, they hit you with crazy Gs and then you black out. And that's not good. That's not no, good. That's not also, good.
0: Like, also, what, kind of, what does that do to your neck? When you're going all those G's and your fucking neck is flopping around, but um, uh, I did it at one. But then the second we did another thing and I didn't hook quick enough, or I didn't I didn't realize it was as many G's as it was. It was actually left G, less G's than we had already done, and I blacked out. And then uh, I woke up and I threw up. Nine G's. <laughs> <laughs> he was at nine uh, G's. Yeah, that's a lot. I was I did seven and a half. I got to seven and a half G's. It's a crazy feeling. It's real weird. But you, you, you have to, I mean, you can only stay, I don't know how long you stay conscious for. Like, but those guys, they don't fly with uh, suits. They don't have um, like a G-suit. There's a certain G-suit that helps you absorb. But either way, that's the only way I've been out. <laughs> <laughs> I went out, I got choked out by a plane.
2: I'm like, <laughs> I've put more people out than I've been put out. So that's I'm like, good. that's a good thing. That's, a, that's it's, the
0: perfect ratio. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what you want. I I don't think it's that bad for you, but I don't think it's good for you either. Like whenever I see radio DJs that want to get strangled, I'm like, I don't know if that's innocuous.
2: Yeah, I don't know the, the, I don't know, guess the the drive behind that, like why you would want that.
0: Steve-O did it. On one of his specials, he I, had Tim Kennedy choke him out.
2: I, th- I watched it recently. I think Mike Bisping did it too with steve Oh, God. Everybody's choking <laughs> steve did it again. Yeah, it was just Why? last week.
0: Yeah. Uh, did, they, did they both drop him? Because no, Tim no, Kennedy they, dropped him. He
1: laid him down quite gently.
0: Well, Tim Kennedy's a savage. He just <laughs> let him drop. I think, I think he asked to let him drop. I think we had this conversation. Yeah. Didn't we, Steve-O? <sighs> These guys. So silly. You know? <laughs> Letting people choke you to sleep. And then dropping you on your head. Okay. <laughs> steve is so nuts. He's so reckless.
2: That was my thought uh, whenever there was the Nate Diaz altercation a couple months ago oh, with yeah, the choke. Oh, yeah, strangled that dude. I, I was like, it's not about the choke. It's about him dropping him. I'm like, yeah. him hitting his head on the concrete. That's what worries me.
0: Yeah, he did hit his head. He didn't hit his head bad, though. It wasn't like from a full knockout. Full knockouts are scary on concrete. Oh, my God. They're so scary. Because when people's heads bounce off the curb, people die like that all the time. It's just, it's like getting hit in the head by the world. That's what it's like. Your head cracks. It's fucking terrible. Don't fight, kids. Stay home. Go to the gym. Exactly. Go to the gym and fight like a woman. Right? (laughs) Do you say that? Fight like a woman? Isn't that like a t shirt line?
2: Probably. Probably.
0: (laughs) It should be, maybe. Are you. do, do you have any aspirations uh outside of MMA like do, you, do, do do at one point in time do you think you'd like to do something else
2: uh i would like to try to like maybe branch into like commentary or something like that mm. i really do uh, i just want to be in the fight game i like i love fights I love analyzing fights so i would like to hopefully get better at that one day <laughs>
0: The, well, the UFC always uses fighters, which is great. I mean, it's, it's the most insightful commentation you're ever going to get. That's not a word, right? Commentation? <laughs> commentary you're never going to get is from fighters.
2: Yeah, and uh, Laura Sanko's killing it for the girls, she's too. She's killing it.
0: Yeah, she's, she's doing great. It's, um, I mean, uh, obviously Invicta, you know, there's there's a lot of chicks that are doing commentary. Mm-hmm. And it's a great thing um, for the sport to have fighters like yourself that can you can have an insight into especially if like there's like a big fight in your weight class you know like maybe someone who you could eventually face and you've been looking at tape on them and you know you could maybe exploit some things and talk about it yeah it's um i love it like when felder does it or dc does it or i used to love kenny florian it's um michael bisping it's awesome dominic cruz it's the best gig for those guys too, because you're, you're, going, you're still in it. You're still like going to all the fights, you're analyzing stuff, you're still a part of the excitement of it all, which is truly the most exciting thing. Like I've, I've been to a lot of stuff, been to a lot of sports, been to a lot of music shows, been to a lot of things. There's not much out there that's as, as exciting as a world title UFC fight, not much, not much.
2: Oh, yeah, I just love to like, I'm not sure if coaching is necessarily the right step for me. And I would want to do something where I'm staying with a sport. I'm like staying commentary. around it. Yeah, staying commentary, some type of thing where it's just I need to be around this kind of energy. Like you said, there's nothing that can compare to a world title fight.
0: <laughs> I think with someone as dedicated as yourself too, you'd be very frustrated if you had students that weren't as dedicated. Am I right?
2: I feel like that's a common thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that uh, it's hard to find somebody who is as dedicated as me. A lot of times, and or people who I I don't know I don't want to say wanted is bad, but it's like a that lot is of people, what it is. Yeah, people don't want to put in the time or the effort, and I'm like, this is literally your job or your dream. Why aren't you just trying everything you can to make it happen? Yeah,
0: it's funny. It's it's but it's it's a discipline issue and it's a focus issue, and some people they don't they don't trust in the process either they they feel like they got better for a little while and then they hit a a sort of a lull and they lose faith it happens all the time you'll see guys going through bad stretches at the gym and then you won't see him for a while it's mm-hmm. like what happened oh, i don't know i got tired of jiu jitsu and like okay but you were like on a good path you just got to be able to push through got to be able to get through bad spots that's why I
2: that like keep showing up is the biggest thing that i feel keep like is the up. It. it yeah. You just got to keep on showing up, keep on being there, even on the day, especially on the days when you don't want to be there. You mm-hmm. got to be there. And I I don't know. I There's nowhere else I would rather be. And I've been just showing up for 12 years and I feel like it, <laughs> it's worked out pretty well. It's worked out awesome. Yeah, It's
0: worked out awesome. And it's great advice. It really is, because they're really as long as you stay focused and, and try to be positive and try to be happy. There's, there's, this, there's a process going on with anything you're trying to get good at. And if you're, if you're really involved in something and you're really interested in it and you really focus on it, you're going to get better. Mm-hmm. You're, you're gonna, and then you're going to look back and you're go, wow, I'm glad I, I kept doing that thing. Imagine if I just quit.
2: I've always said, I'm like, it, it, if I work hard, doors keep on opening. It, mm. It's always the, like, how it's worked me putting in the hours, me putting in the time, and doors have just naturally opened. So I'm like, yeah. I feel like that's just the key to it all.
0: I think you're right, and uh, I'm glad this door opened, and I'm glad we got a chance to do this. It's a lot of fun.
2: Oh, yeah, no, it was a pleasure.
0: My pleasure, and uh, what what are you slated for next? Do you have uh, a fight planned?
2: Uh, June 24th against Tabitha Ritchie. That's right, we yeah. just talked about that earlier. So, yeah, three 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 and a half weeks out now.
0: Three and a half weeks out. Wow. That's a very exciting, very exciting fight. June 24th. And that that's the Apex?
2: No, it'll be in Jacksonville. Oh,
0: that's the Florida card. That's the yeah. Emmett Toporio card. That's right.
2: It's going to be my... Fir- Let me see that whole card. It's going to be my first fight, mm. oh, first pro fight and first fight with the UFC with and Jack- uh, in Florida. Oh, wow. So that being my home state pretty much, it's going to be awesome for me. I'm so excited.
0: This is a fucking great card. This is Gregory Rodriguez, Dennis Tululin, Brandon Allen. Bruno Silva, Neil Magny, Phil Rowe. That's a great fight. Ooh. And is this um, – go, go all the way up to the top. Is this uh, – this is ESPN. Is it ESPN Plus or just ESPN? Because they've been doing them on ABC too. Yeah. yeah. Card on ABC. It's
1: to 2 p.m. in the afternoon. It's a little earlier. So it's probably – Interesting. I bet it's on normal.
0: Well, well I want, we bad. just did the ABC one. I wonder if they're going to do more ABC ones. Very interesting. Anyway. Okay, there it is. on ABC. Oh, it is on ABC. Main card is ABC. Yeah. Main card ABC. Yeah, see, there it is. That's an interesting deal. Well, if I was a network, I'd want to get in on some of this action, you know? Like, it, they used to be so scared of MMA, but now MMA has uh, really been normalized.
2: Oh, yeah, a yeah. A lot of... I feel like... It- I don't know, now it's like, you see things like bare knuckle MMA getting normalized more. Uh,
0: oh, that's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, MMA like, that that's civilized crazy, now. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't know, I've been to a couple, I went to a bare knuckle MMA and just a regular bare knuckle fight, and both of them, I'm like, I'm sitting there cringing the whole time. Mm. I'm like, I I don't get that stuff.
0: It's a different level.
2: Oh, it's 100%, just hearing some, a bare like fist hit somebody's face is a different sound, and mm-hmm. it's something scary.
0: Well, the cuts, too. The cuts are crazy.
2: Your poor hands, too. I'm like, mm-hmm. everybody's hands after every single fight, broken knuckles, broken, like huge fists swollen just because, yeah. uh, I'm like, you can't not break your hand on somebody's head. How
0: Have you ever tried makiwara training? You ever tried that? No. Like the karate guys used to do. They should take, you know what a makiwara is? No. It's it's a, it's a it's like a plank that has hard rope wrapped around it, and it's, like, bolted into the ground. And they would just practice reverse punches into this thing. It was like this hard thing that had, like, a little bit of give to it until they developed these massive calluses all over their hands. So that's, like, more of a mechanical makiwara. That one looks like it has, like, it gives, yeah, so that's what a traditional one looks like. And these guys would punch them. Look at Google like karate, makibara knuckles. See that? And they would just practice hitting their knuckles over and over again until they get preposterous looking. Just just Google like for images because some dudes have like fucking insane knuckles from hitting those things. That guy on the far left. That oh. guy. The, the guy on the far left. Yeah, that one. That's what I'm talking about. Look at the size of his fucking knuckles.
2: Do you think that actually helps? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, for
0: sure. Oh. It builds up calluses. Well, for sure. Definitely. Oh. My friend John used to do it.
2: I've seen it. He used oh. to
0: practice with bricks. He was a, a Taekwondo champion, and he would practice with his knuckles with bricks. And he had one knuckle that was—it f- was essentially like fused from calluses. It was this massive thing. The first two knuckles, like the the index finger and the ring finger, were all just a calloused mass that he could smash people with.
2: <laughs> and you see people like uh, Muay Thai fighters do that a lot with their shins, mm-hmm. like conditioning. But I've never seen that with their knuckles.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was what they used to do in karate. Uh, I think people still do it too. Uh, also, it probably is probably terrible for you. Arthritis and shit as you get older, but you got to sacrifice. (gasps) Listen, thank you very much for coming here. I really appreciate it. Give everybody out your uh, social media so they can follow you.
2: Uh, My social media on Instagram and Twitter is savage underscore UFC.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you being here, and good luck to you. Uh,
2: Thank you so much. All
0: right. Bye, everybody.